All right. Hello, everyone. This is Spencer Michaud, and today I am joined by my good friend, Shu Yap, uh, and we're going to be talking about the astrology of July today. So welcome, Shu. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Spencer. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting because Shu and I have become fast friends from uh, some communications over the the back channels and just I think there's a I don't know I just have a lot of respect for the work that you do Shu and, and think you're an astrological genius and I'm so very very excited that you are here with me today so tell me a little bit more about yourself Shu and introduce introduce yourself to the audience here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and, and thank you, Spencer. That's such an honor coming from you because same here. I really respect the work you do. And I think we have very similar minds and interests in the type of astrology that we like. Um, but really, I've been a hermit for about 20 years. And um, it's only been the last couple of years that I have had my astrological coming out. And that was quite nerve wracking. Um, but it is something that's always been a part of my life. Um, I literally just woke up one day on my nodal return at 19 and thought, oh, I've got to study astrology, and it all started from there. Um, I think also having uh, influences of my Taoist background, <clears throat> my father being passed since I was a little girl and just having him as an influence spiritually has kind of led me to this as well. Um, but also just a, a general interest for understanding people and um, the magical aspects of life is something that really drives me and my passion. Um, and today I, I live very closely to the environment and everything I do is, you know, I always say astrology is a lifestyle, not a livelihood for me because it really does uh, influence everything I do on the farm and, and just the the way that I, you know, um, raise my children and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, that's a little bit about, about me, yeah. I'm so envious of your um, off-the-grid lifestyle, I have to admit. Uh, and here, here's a really interesting thing for astrologers. Uh, I bet that, I'm, I'm guessing, and you can t- correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that the sky that you see is a pretty incredible sky. Uh, where you live is there is there a lot of light pollution where you live or is it pretty clear skies no there's not much light pollution at all and besides the full moon (laughs) really that's my only pollution um so yeah we're very lucky and I you know pinch myself every morning and in the evenings when I look around and just think oh god it's so beautiful and I just love that the dawn and the dusk, you know, those liminal spaces when the sun's rising and the sun's setting, it's so magical. All the animals are out and, you know, there's just this surrealness um, in the world, you know. So, yeah, I'm very lucky. But having said that, the off-grid lifestyle is not for everyone. I mean, to, yeah, I mean, the lengths I have to go to to just have this computer running and to have batteries you know, pre-charged and, you know, lighting all ready to go. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's a pain. It's not convenient at all, but it's my life. <laughs> yeah. And so you're basically living in your own little dark sky park, which is awesome, right? I think for us around here, we have to drive nine or 10 miles, nine or 10 hours north to get to a place where there's not you know, so much light pollution where we can't really see the sky and just having that visceral, you know, 
you know, direct experience of the stars is, is I think gives you such a unique perspective on all this. And, and I really applaud you for the, your commitment to, to the, um, off-grid lifestyle. I know that it's not an easy life. And, um, I, I have some friends that are living not completely off the grid, but are, are pursuing more, more of that life. And they are pretty hardcore too. And, and there's, there's pluses and minuses for sure, but what an interesting way about living next to nature and within the seasons and really, you know, having that be the guide for your life. It's something that I hope that I can move closer to as I mm. go along the journey here, but yeah, mm. super cool. I'm glad that you're <laughs> using some of your um, solar power to talk to us today. Is that correct? <laughs> well, the, all the batteries are pre-charged. I've got the car inverter as backup you know, <laughs> through the window. <laughs> Hopefully we don't need to, to use it. But, um, you know, I have this theory that if everyone in the world can live off-grid for one year, that the world would be a better place because we all become so conscious of the power that we're using and the resources and the energy yeah. that we that's required to just do anything, to cook dinner, to get clean water and to... Yeah, like, you know, even going to the bathroom, all this sort of stuff. It's just such a, um, yeah, everything needs to be thought of. Totally. And, and, it, and it super seems to be in alignment with that, that Taoist background that you were speaking of as well, with coming into alignment with the cyclical nature of things and whatnot. And I'm really going to be curious to hear some of your thoughts on the I Ching reading that we do today. If you Do you have some experience with the I Ching as an oracle? <laughs> No, I don't actually. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? You know, the way I see it is I was kind of plonked into Western civilization with all this sort of Eastern um, esoteric images that had to come out with no guide besides, you know, invisible ones. And I had to kind of find an external vehicle for that. And that vehicle was hermeticism. Yeah. Um, Western, which is very similar, I, I guess, to the Taoist philosophy, but um, that was my the way that I could get all this stuff that I was born into out into the world. Um, but, you know, as at my last nodal return at 38, 39, 36 to 38, I did go back to the temple where my father worked and it was like a homecoming, you know, and I just saw everything that I do with my rituals and ceremonial work was very much the same as what everyone was doing there, you know. So, um, and my father was the assistant to the priest there who would run weekly trance sessions and make talismans and healings and all this sort of stuff. Um, even my name was actually um, divined from that, that, um, that priest. Uh, that so, so cool. that is yeah. so cool. I, I have so much to learn. You and I should have almost a whole show, I think, on that at some point if you're interested. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very uh, interested in learning more. I wanted to give a shout out to Benabel Wen too, because she has a lot of yeah. really uh, oh. interesting material on this and is a great um, teacher, you know, and had, teaches classes on th these topics as well. Yeah, we should get her on your show. I'm so keen to have a conversation with her because there's so many unanswered questions for me. I have no way of communicating to my relatives because of the different languages, all this sort of stuff. So it's been a real mysterious puzzle for me to try and piece together. Totally. So, yeah. 
Well, I'm looking at the chat here, and if you are joining us in digital land, uh, let us know that you're here. Uh, tell us where you're coming from. We usually have a fairly international crowd in this these chats. We usually have people dropping in from Finland, although it's probably really either really late or really early there right now. Um, we've got some folks in the Netherlands that usually stop by, but if you're around, say hi in the chat box. We've got Tanya uh, says, yay, greetings from inside the house. Very excited for this chat. This is my, my lovely partner, Tanya, who helps uh, participate in these chats sometimes and gave us a, a, a number of camel facts last time because we pull not only uh, an I Ching for the, the, the um, breeding that we do, but I like to like get an animal spirit guide for, for the things that we're going through with the astrology as well and for the um, last eclipse and, and the full moon we had a camel so we, she is the camel expert and Ooh. we pulled the grasshopper today so some interesting things to think in about making leaps forward and, and kind of charging mm -hmm. our energy to be able to catapult into a new reality and, and i think that we're, we might see that as we go along that it might be a kind of a loading the spring type of energy and then oh. moving forward into a new reality. Those were some of the things that I was coming across. Uh, we have astrotherapy stopping by. Um, Tanya says that off-grid living would be transformational in so many ways. Uh, Shizumi is here from California saying hi. Uh, Casey Jones says hello from Oregon and Chris Peterson is here from Iowa City, Iowa. So we've got some nice people Legends. participating in the chat. So if at any point you all have questions and, and for, for me or for Shu, uh, feel free to drop them in the chat and we'll try to uh, do the best we can with that. We're, we're going to do a deep dive on the astrology of July today. And one thing I love about Shu is how thorough she is. She, you know, match, oh. I think matches my own obsession with detail. Um, yeah, no, she I could never match that. <laughs> And I had messy handwriting too, so. Well, I was, I was, you know, Shu helped me out with a horary uh, not too long ago, and I was super impressed with the the, de the amount of work and detail that she put into it. And, you know, so I'm just really excited to hear your insights as we move along here. Um, we've got Top Notch Vintage uh, is here from, I believe, are they from England? I think they, you're from England, uh, is stopping by. Just got here, but it's late, so I might flake out. Don't flake out, Top Notch Vintage. We're just getting started. And Dimphy is here from the Netherlands. Um, yeah, okay. So let's talk about July. Mm. Shu, do you have any um, overarching thoughts that are coming up? Uh, some like general thoughts about the, the astrology of July? Mm. I do look at July as like the aftermath of June. So whilst June had some really acute, drastic things happen with the eclipse and Saturn Uranus perfection, and specifically in our area of the world, we had massive storms that have knocked over lots of trees. Still, people are without power today, um, without power, water, uh, without homes. Um, and I think in July, as all these personal planets start to align with that Saturn-Uranus configuration, all things are starting to get personal now. The visceral, like, how do we actually deal with the cleanup? It's affecting us on that daily level as opposed to, wow, this is a big catastrophe that just happened. So, and I think you guys had some big power outage in Texas or something. Yeah, uh, that was, a, we had a, was that recent? 
or a few months ago? I think it was something to do around the Saturn Uranus square. Okay. I heard that there was see how up to date I'm in. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I will say piggybacking off of that Texas is a unique situation here in America, because they are on their own power grid. Uh, they're not connected to the rest of the power grid in, in the country. And over the winter, they had huge power outages. And a lot of people were, you know, you know their, their pipes were freezing. There was a huge crisis down in Texas because they had this cold snap that came through that really, you know, shot people's energy bills up. And, they, and maybe they're experiencing something like that as well. I know we've been having record heat waves along the West mm -hmm. Coast, around California, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, and, and places of that nature where we've seen routinely temperatures above 100 up to 120 degrees for many, many days in a row. That's much more, that's out of the ordinary. That's, that's not normal for those times. Um, yeah, I did read something about people having to take um, shifts with putting their air conditioner on because it was going to overload their system. So I just thought, wow, that's such a Saturnian, like the Saturnian infrastructure and the systems all crumbling down, you know? Um, yeah, I, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Like everything that we're seeing through July is has to be contextualized in that big transit of that Saturn Uranus square, right? And mm -hmm. and some of those themes, if we we want to, you know, kind of review that real quick, we've got Saturn in Aquarius, which is a very strong placement for Saturn. So the way I understand it is is you know Saturn is very much a pure expression of sat of saturn energy of the kind of like the need to think collectively in that sign the need to hover above from that thirty thousand foot perspective to realize that the actions that we're taking have an effect on each other and with that square with uranus we we're seeing it come into contact with definitely the material resources that we share as a community as well and this kind of tension between the old way of doing something and the the very real necessity for the new and for the new approach to dealing with things as a global community and i mean just, just it's just my, my mind is blown now that you and i are talking like just over these airwaves you know from literally mm -hmm. uh, opposite ends of the earth and, mm -hmm. and and thinking about that and contextualizing that with Saturn Uranus and how, you know, the, the actions that we're taking here in our country are affecting your country and, and things of that nature and, and realizing that we're so connected in these ways to me is the most important thing with, with this, this transit with Saturn and Uranus. Mm. And I think personally, what I really found with the Saturn Uranus square is this year I had kind of decided I was going to give up on technology you know I was I'm just going to be one of these old people that go, how do you do this like, what, do you, what do you press <laughs> and um, it's been a real grapple to to try and keep, keep like being up to speed with technology and I felt like it was just a futile effort and that yeah I've just really struggled with that being a Saturnian person myself I've just really struggled with keeping up the pace of like all these new apps and all these new I don't even know what they are, but just to be able to stay working, I have to, you know, make that Uranian leap, you know. And so somewhere everyone's going to have this kind of dichotomy in their lives in some way. Um, uh, I love your, the old and the new. 
I love your Instagram though, so please don't stop posting on your uh, Instagram. That's the only channel. thing I do. <laughs> like, that's the was, only thing. <laughs> yeah, there was a post you did recently that I was just like, that's amazing. Like, I think you had a picture of a dead rabbit and you were like, you're like, here's, you know, roadkill dinner. And you were talking about a, a, a kangaroo that got into your compost bin. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Tell me more about this story before we get into the nitty gritty here. Oh, you know, it's just the normal day in the life of shoe. You know, I wake up and there's this rabbit head on the, the front door. You know, I went to empty out the compost. There's a dead kangaroo in there. And, I, you know, we love compost. So any, any, I'm always going around gathering poo and, animal parts or whatever to try and you know build the fertility here um and then you know my friend drops off a couple of big bags of comfrey which I've, I've wanted to revegetate around our culvert our big drain mm -hmm. for a while um and because I'm a tight ass I don't buy plants I always just propagate and divide and so I've got two big bags of comfrey that I planted out and uh then I you know had spent the whole morning also collecting firewood and, you know, feeling really prepared. I thought, wow, this is like all this abundance that Jupiter is giving me. And this was the day that Jupiter was stationing. And comfrey is a Jupiter herb. And she, it was given to me by a very Sagittarian friend. And I thought, wow, is it not just loud and clear that Jupiter's stationing today? It's just amazing. <laughs> I, I, didn't and these, know, I didn't realize that the kangaroo was dead. I thought it was just digging through the compost. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 it was dead. <laughs> My husband must have put it in there. I usually like to dig a hole and put it under a tree or something, but right. yeah, that's just the, uh, the lazy way, just chuck it in the compost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in incredible. It's just, it's like I said, it's fascinating to hear such a different experience from what I'm living. I I'm endlessly curious. I, I have Venus and Gemini, so like hearing just this completely different life experience is, is really a treat. So I, I appreciate you sharing your stories. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at some comments here. We've got uh, Aaron is here from Des Moines uh, in Iowa. Uh, Corey G says 115 is the forecast in Portland, Oregon, exceeding all their all-time record by almost 10 degrees. Heat wave there is not only unprecedented, unprecedented, but expected to be prolonged. And Casey Jones says, yes, the Texas outages happened twice, the first in February when the first square happened, and then it happened again at this last square because of the air conditioners running during the extreme heat. Crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Deborah is here. So hello, Deborah. And uh, Tanya says, I love the jovial herbs flowing. Comfrey is so healing and awesome. So, so good. <laughs> all right. So let's share the chart here and we'll kind of uh break it down step by step so everybody is realizing that everything we're talking about is uh painted on the canvas of saturn uranus square and we're going to be seeing both mars and venus going through this territory making the oppositions to saturn and then the square to uranus respectively so we'll see that over the course of the month okay so this is the chart. Are you able to see that shoe? Yep. Okay. So we've got July 1st up here on the chart. And the first thing I wanted to, to talk about and break down a little bit is I want to just kind of set the scene for the, the decanic, the solar decanic period of time. So we can kind of break this into three chunks as we go. So from July 1st to July the 11th, we're going to be seeing the sun moving through the second decan of cancer and this is going to be associated with this three 
of cups kind of experience with the tarot. Austin Caput calls this the walled garden. Um, Book T and Book of Toth call it abundance. We have a few fixed stars in this decan, Alhina at 10 degrees Cancer, Sirius at 14 Cancer, and Canopus at 15 Cancer. Um, Austin Caput calls this the hothouse flower decan, the walled garden. So I, I interpret that as to the way that he's describing it is we have tried to find a source of nurturing in that first decan of cancer. And now we're trying to protect that very vulnerable creation that we're trying to bring into the world, uh, nurturing, protective growth. Um, and it was associated with the three graces who were attendants to the gods. Um, Shu, what do you think about cancer too? And some of the, uh, maybe the significations and, and the, the kind of the, the condition of the sun moving through this area of the zodiac. We'll start out generally and then we'll, we'll get more in depth. Yeah, well, it's, I feel the sun's not that comfortable in cancer. Um, you know, it can't see its own sign. Um, you know, so from an essential dignity perspective, it's um, a bit panicky, you know, um, not having the visibility that it likes. Um, so it's on edge a little bit. It's um, cancer is a cool, moist sign and the sun's very hot and dry. So temperamentally, they're, they're both very incongruent to each other. So um, I think it, in that regard, it's a challenge for the sun to be in cancer. Yeah, totally. I agree. This is mm. this is the decan that my son is in, and I can attest to being uncomfortable mm. with some solar things at times. Um, mm. The sun is peregrine in in Cancer, which means it, it is a wanderer. It doesn't have any of its own essential dignity. And I love the the fact that you're pointing out that it can't see its own home too. It's its mm. home sign being Leo. So what Shu is pointing out here is that we have this sun that's in aversion to its own house. And it's mm. really making it difficult for these two planets right here that it's trying to provide resources for both Venus and Mars. So it's kind of like, I, I heard Martin Hermes talk about this in a way that I really liked. He said, and I think he was kind of going back to uh, Robert Schmidt and talking about the planet in the house can be thought of as the potter and the planet that is the dispositor or the host of that, those planets is the clay. So we've got like these planets, Mars and Venus in, in Leo, trying to take some kind of action, some kind of verb. But the noun that they have, the sun, is, you know, it's, there's, no, there's no resources to be able to, to draw upon, right? There's nothing. There's mm. a, no line of sight, no, no communication between the two. Um, mm. And, and so when you can't see something, you get a bit panicky because you can't, you don't know what's in front of you. It's like having strangers in your house. You've got no idea what they're doing there. Um, but, you know, all your stuff's there. So you're a bit worried about, you know, what, what they're going to do with it all. So that's what the sun's doing right now. Yeah. Mm. And right as the sun moves into, uh, well, as we click the calendar over to on July 1st, and just to give a disclaimer or a caveat, if you're listening in Australia, it's going to be a little bit of a different time zone uh, experience. And our dates might be a little bit wonky um, because Shu is 
living 10 hours in the future (laughs) (laughs) or I'm living 10 hours in the past, however you want to see, to see that. Um, So keep that in mind when we're talking about specific dates, make sure you make an adjustment for your location. Um, But the first thing that, that stands out to me uh, on July the 1st is this opposition between Mars and Saturn is perfecting. Uh, and also bringing in that Saturn Uranus square. So this is a one big old T square between Mars, Saturn, and Uranus. So break this down for us, Shu. What are we looking at here? Okay, so this is where the first instance of the the visceral, personal uh, impacts uh, feelings of the impact of June starts to come into play. So Mars is going to want to bring action it may come into some roadblocks you know around dealing with you know the events of june um and that can look like clashes conflict um it can look like you know aggression maybe but frustration and just a tension that really wants to spur us into some kind of decision or action in some sort of way Um, but because of the the Um, combinations of planets at play you know it's like they're all butting heads so I can kind of see a bit of a stalemate happening um, before any action is being taken really Um, but the one thing that I find interesting is that as soon as this opposition perfects Mars is actually going to be overcoming Saturn Mm. and therefore having more agency and power and rule so when planets overcome, that what it essentially means is that they're rising before the planet that they're overcoming, which gives them a little bit more power. So up until the opposition, I think there's going to be more walls and resistance and conservatism of Saturn. But after the opposition, I think there's going to be more, I guess, rebellion, um, action and moving forward with things for right or for wrong. Yeah, that's a great point, Shu. And I like the the key word that I'm pulling out of that is this frustration energy where we, you know, Mars is a planet of of action, also of severing and separating. So there there is there is conflict mm-hmm. that is coming up. Um probably due to um trying to assert some kind of personal agenda. This is a uh, this um Deccan, uh, Leo 2 is associated with the 6 of wands. So we may be trying to get to a personal victory of some sort, but we're, mm. we have something that's standing in the way. And what's standing in the way, if we looked at this decanically in tarot, is the six of swords, a need to move on from the past. There's something from the past that we're not you know, uh, taking into account that is blocking a lot of our forward motion. Um, mm. I think that... The other word that's coming up for me with this, just especially hearing you talk about the Mars moving into that overcoming position, that catapult energy. You know, if we mm. think about the, the the grasshopper animal spirit for this this reading today, it, we we are loading the spring really, mm. and I think that that Mars Saturn energy is really loading this spring so that there's going to be a, a leap forward, and and it could be a leap forward of positive energy. It could, it could be a leap forward of aggressive energy, but wherever we are now, this, whatever this frustration that you're feeling, there is going to be 
a release of that tension. And it may be pretty intense uh, and pretty like maybe even unexpected too, with like the Uranus being in the, in the mix here. Um, yeah. but, I, but I do think delays are definitely a part of it. Yeah, it's like the more delays and frustrations and the Saturnian overcoming period beforehand is just creating more tension for that spring. So the greater the tension, the further the acceleration when it can. Um, so, you know, you can look at that as a positive life. But I like what you said about the proving oneself because that's how I see Mars. Mars wants to, you know, individuate. It wants to prove that I can do this and nobody's going to keep me down. Um, and so wherever Mars in your chart, that's where you want to really show how you can make it out there on your own without any help, you know. Um, so, so I think we're going to see things start to mobilise from, from July very quickly, um, especially with Mercury being direct now. I think, yeah, things are going to start moving towards a solution of some sort. And that might look difficult, but it's almost an inevitable path. Yeah. And we just saw, um, we just, like you said, we saw Mercury stationing direct. We also saw Jupiter stationing retrograde. What are, do you have some thoughts on, on that kind of, um, the difference between mm. those two and, and how those energies are playing out right now with retrograde Jupiter and direct Mercury? Yeah. The, the handing over of the baton. Um, yeah. I, I see Jupiter going retrograde, not as big of a deal as say when Mercury goes retrograde, you know, I find when the bigger planets start to turn backwards, it's more around a um, gathering and consolidation and um, of thoughts and ideas to, to really try and, I guess, make sure that they vibe with your inner world and make sure that, um, you know, that they're aligned in some sort of way. Um, so I, I, I don't think we'll feel that going backwards of Jupiter in as much of a visceral way as we would with Mercury moving direct. Um, I'm not sure if you felt it, but I, I really have felt things are moving much faster since Mercury has turned direct. Definitely. Yeah. Things have definitely mm. started to speed up in, in my life in particular. Um, and I'm feeling the tension of the cardinal or the fixed cross uh, for sure, because I'm a, mm. I'm a Leo ascendant. So I, mm. I, I'm dealing with this in a very um, personal way and um, mm. we'll see what happens. I, I'm the way that I'm dealing with it personally is trying to be patient, trying not to let my, um, my emotions get the better of me, seeing things from a long-term perspective. I think that that's what Saturn's asking Mars to do right now is cool off a little mm. bit, slow yeah. down. You know, you're still going to be able to assert yourself in an authentic way eventually, but there may be some things that you have to make adjustments to for the, mm. for the good of your long-term viability right? Instead of this, like, oh, I want this and I, I have to have it right now. It's that kind mm -hmm. of, um, it's a healthy boundary, right? It's, a, yeah. I think sometimes Saturn can be that healthy boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mars, Mars quite, I think Mars is quite happy in Leo, you know, I mean, it could probably get a bit hot headed, but, um, you know, it's, it's got the same vibe, the hot, dry, hot and dry sort of, uh, nature of the sign and the planet together. Yeah, definitely. And one, one book that you turned me on to was uh, A Tiny Universe by Joy Usher. And uh, one of the things that I've been really leaning on with Joy's book as I work my way through it, kind of skipping around, but also inch by inch was 
her treatment of Saturn and Aquarius in general and talking about the boundaries that Saturn creates through the air sign of Aquarius being more like a, a glass ceiling type of experience mm -hmm. where it may be a limiting belief rather than um, a physical limitation. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. That's and, cool. Yeah. yeah. So so maybe yeah. we're are, we're feeling passionate about something, but we're running up against this the limitations of of our beliefs where we think that we are we can't move any further, and we have to mm. really leave those beliefs behind to to actually move forward with our life. Okay, I'm gonna I'm checking in on the chat here, uh, Lisa is here from New York. She says, it's funny that the sun is so high in cancer. Um, yeah, yeah. talking about that being the solstice and the peak of that solar energy. Uh, one thing that sticks out to me with cancer is uh, it's a turning point, isn't it? It's, it's like uh, the, all the cardinal signs are the seasonal turnings and it's the beginning of descent. And I talked about this um, on my full moon podcast with a, a couple other friends where we were talking about the kind of the, the, the solar sacrifice that happens right at that at solstice point where it's the beginning of the descent. Now, now this is interesting because we have a Southern Hemisphere astrologer here. And, and, and I'm really, I'm curious is if, to, so what's your take on that? That's, that's a, oh, a huge yeah. topic, but a, a brief, like, how do you experience the, the archetypal, almost like seasonal type of things being on the Southern Hemisphere? Mm, yeah, I get this question a lot. And the way I kind of approach it is that I just view everything in terms of its symbolic nature. You know, I don't view it, view that particular symbol as coming out in a concrete reality. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm all for, you know, bringing out sim internal symbols into the outside world. But that's one thing that I keep symbolically inside of me as a conceptual idea of, um, you know, the sun making that transition. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, there's not much you can do, although the seasons are changing, I think, due to climate change. Yeah. Um, you know, we are, we're finding summers becoming later or winters coming earlier, things like this. Um, so maybe one day we might all align again. <laughs> but that won't be in our lifetime. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, so, so many things to think about with that, for sure. Uh, Corey G says that the sun in cancer is an aversion to both malefics. That's positive or redeeming question. Um, I, yeah, I think so. Right. On some level. Right. I mean, it can't hurt. Uh, I mean, and I say that literally that the malefics generally can't hurt the sun if they're in aversion. Correct. Shu? I think mm. I'm interpreting that. Correct. Um, yes, that's right. Um, I mean, we also look at things like, Antitia and contra-antitia and things like that too. So we will see, like, and later on we'll see Venus will be making a, an antitia to uh, Uranus. But I don't want to jump too far ahead. Okay. Um, we, yeah. yeah. We should <laughs> keep going, though. We'll be here all night, won't we? Um, let me see. Uh, okay, let's let's move forward here. I'm, I can try to get to some more of the questions in the chat, but... Um, I want to be respectful of Shu's time and make sure that I don't keep her here for like four hours. <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm going to move forward to July the 3rd. And this is where we start to see uh, the next aspect that is going to perfect. Um, we're going to see, I'm sorry, Mars moving from that opposition 
separating from that opposition to Saturn to a square with Uranus. So what kind of energy are we transferring here, Shu? Right. Well, you know, from a textbook perspective, you know, that Mars Uranus is this kind of rebel on the loose, the reckless behavior, taking risky actions, you know, the delinquency, that kind of thing. But I feel with Uranus in Venus's sign, where I feel like there's some creative solutions that are going to be um, opened up at this stage, you know, with all the energetic, outward sort of action oriented nature of Mars activating this very stalemate tension and Venus there trying to reconcile everything. I, I think maybe this might be the beginning of maybe that breakthrough. There's some crack that's starting to emerge, like some creative solution to a long-term problem kind of thing. Um, and it makes sense being the second iteration of the Saturn Uranus square. Like, you know, you, you want to hope that there's some kind of, you know, turning point in that stalemate at some stage. Um, and that might be around now. And we've got one more Saturn Uranus square at, towards the end of the year, correct? Do you remember the date of that offhand? I don't, I can't recall off the top um, of my head. It's December. I think 24th of December, I think okay. for us, I think 23rd for you guys. Gotcha. I just so, remember it being near Christmas. Gotcha. Okay. So we, mm. we've got a few months to kind of uh, pick up the pieces from the fallout of this second part and chapter in the cycle. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head that there is some help that we're going to be getting with Venus. Um, one thing that sticks out to me when, with Uranus in the second decan of Taurus is uh, this is the six of, of pentacles uh, card in the tarot. And one of the things that has come up in my studies with Taurus too. Two, two themes is the theme of generosity and dis distribution of resources, but mm -hmm. also the theme of consistency in routines and Uranus disrupting our routines through mm -hmm. some kind of environmental uh, resource-based shakeup. So uh, that's one thing that I think I could add to what she was saying is just that you know, Mars Uranus is a very disruptive aspect and mm. potentially there could be in your personal life some disruption based on um, trying to assert your maybe authority, your authenticity, potentially getting fired up in a situation where pride could be, you know, bringing you into conflict and, and disrupting uh, a, a, a normal routine that you might have. And the other caution I would have for these both of these aspects is these plants are moving through fixed signs too. And a tendency to dig your heels in in a position is, is definitely on, on the table or in the cards. Um, so I would also recommend trying to use that Mercury and Gemini to see things from multiple perspectives. Uh, try to get clarity with it too, because the other thing that we're kind of you know, that's in the background here is Mercury, Mercury, Neptune square, right? That's kind of coloring our, our minds and our thought processes as well. Okay, I'm going to mm. skip forward here. Yep. If we look at July 4th, this is, a, of course, Independence Day in America. We do have a, uh, I just want to touch on this briefly, but we have a Taurus moon conjoined Uranus. Uh, so mm. a, a nice moon, but squaring, you know, very much in <laughs> activating all of these uh, T-square energies. 
Um, be That's careful smart. with your fireworks <laughs> is what I will say. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Explosive, explosive aspects like Mars Uranus are um, probably not the, the type that you want to be holding a giant firework in your hand. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, the moon's also, um, the moon is also perhaps making us feel more into the discomfort and making it more comfortable with the changes and the disruptions, maybe accepting it a little bit more because, you know, the moon's siding with Uranus here. It's wanting to bring our emotional um, embodied sense to this kind of what, what is this newness, you know, okay, let's, let's, start feeling it and let's start getting used to it let's get a habitual sort of resonance with it. so that's yeah i like that i like that and you know usually taurus moons are pretty uh pretty nice times with the it being in its yeah. exaltation and maybe a good time to have a barbecue or something too that's right. right i mean yeah yeah right okay yeah. so let's move forward on the fifth um, just a minor aspect here, but the sun is going to be making a sextile with Uranus. Mm -hmm. So that's a harmonious mm -hmm. uh, aspect of the nature of Venus. Mm -hmm. And that happens at the same time when the moon is with Uranus. So, you know, a good flow of, you know, ego and emotions, I guess. I like that. Using that time to, you know, really get comfortable with, with the changes, start accepting them. Mm. That's one of the hardest things as a human being, isn't it? Accepting change. And I think it's one of the things. Perfect sign, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I always like to say, I have a little saying that I say sometimes is that sometimes pain or things that we may not want are inevitable, but um, suffering is, is a choice, I think, sometimes. And I, and I consider suffering like trying to swim upstream against whatever experience that you are going through. And so even if you're going through a, a decline or a decrease or something, a challenge, you know, going with that change versus trying to completely resist what needs to happen in your life, I think can be kind of the steam valve on some level, you know? Mm. Mm. All right. Yep. So let's go forward. Let's keep on rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> All right, so on the 6th, July the 6th, the day before my birthday, Ooh. <laughs> we'll see what happens nice. here. All Ooh, so, so all this is baked into my solar return, all this, <laughs> this fun stuff on the 6th. <laughs> so we have uh, the Mercury-Neptune square perfecting on July the 6th. And also, at the same time, we have Venus making its opposition to Saturn. Mm. All right, Shu, guide us through <laughs> these aspects here. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I have been loving this Mercury-Neptune square. Oh, my goodness. It's been so good. I've just been able to – I've had a very real sense of my inner world being – in front of me. Um, I've started a Jungian um, reading group, uh, you know, analysis sort of group under this aspect, which I had not planned to do. I just stumbled across it. And it's been amazing 
And I'm just learning so much. Yeah, just about the merging of our symbolic minds with the creative outer world life. And I find that this Mercury and Neptune square has been a real journey of showing us what really exists. Like our minds just don't even, uh, aren't um, used to just such a greater expanse the world is actually open to. Um, And this aspect's really highlighted that to me. And I'm just so sad to see it go, but I'm so excited to um, keep investigating what exists, you know, beyond this physical world. Um, Like you said, we both have 12 house sons and I've I've always got one foot out the door anyway. So this this has been great for me. But how have you experienced this transit? Uh, Well, let me first say that that's the most positive and hopeful interpretation that I've heard of this so far, which I'm here for because I, Lord knows that I, sometimes I need to be able to see the bright side of things. Um, I, I can tend to fixate sometimes on what's, what needs to be remedied. Um, I would say that my, my experience has been a mixed bag. I think that, um, I've been having a lot of really great opportunities come up to make new friends. I think that that's one thing that I've noticed with this. I have Mercury in the 11th house and it's um, I've been making friends from all over all over the world with this aspect. You know, I've I've got friends in the Middle East that I've been talking to about astrology, friends in Europe. Uh, You and I have been having some really great conversations on opposite ends of the earth. Um, So I, I, I like I can see that that fits into that type of experience, seeing that there's so much more out there than you may have have thought. Um, I would say one thing that's, uh, and, and sometimes it's hard to parse out which aspect is is doing what, and maybe this was some of the Venus opposite Pluto stuff, but it could be Mercury square Neptune for me too, but I've had real difficulty um, rejoining society after mm-hmm. the restrictions were lifted here in our country. Um, I've had a lot of friends that have asked me to get together with them in person or a few, not, not a lot. It's not like I'm just like swimming and invitations all the time, but a a few good friends that are, have been wanting to get together. And I've been, I think I've been struggling with the, the, the heightened awareness of danger and transitioning from that and trying to decipher what is real and what isn't. And what is, is uh, what do I need to be aware of? And what do I need to have as a thought to keep my, me from experiencing what I don't want to versus what is just a limiting belief? And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm working it out one day at a time. Uh, I, like I said, I have a lot of envy for your situation as far as being able to just get away from it all because, you know, it's harder to do where we're at here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I like yeah. the I like your hopeful take on it though, definitely. Um, yeah, well, I was also thinking with all your <clears throat> your Virgo ness, you know, this might be a bit, uh, you know, like pulling the, the ground from under your feet kind of feeling, just this shakiness. But um, <clears throat> I'm not very detailed at all as a person. I've got a top house Mercury, so I guess I'm I'm on home territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And one other thing I could add with the, the Mercury Neptune square is just thinking about it from that decanic tarot perspective. The, I like to think of that third decan of, of Gemini as a choice that needs to be made. 
um, we see the the ten of swords uh, squaring the ten of cups. So there is this beautiful idealistic vision, but there's maybe some challenges with making the choice that needs to be made. A lot of the, the stories that I tell with Gemini is that story of Castor and Pollux and the, and the twins, where one twin has to give up some of its immortality so that the other slain twin can live again. And mm -hmm. I think that one thing that I've been experiencing with this too is that there have been, you know, Mercury, I think in Gemini is, is showing you multiple pathways. It's just saying, mm -hmm. it's, it's saying, that's how I experience Mercury in Gemini is saying, okay, here's all these different options, 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 options. Whereas if we contrast that with Virgo, it's saying, what do we need to pare down? Uh, which of these options do we need to eliminate to store for the, the winter or for whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that there may be, um, I've experienced a little bit of confusion about which, which direction do I really want to pursue? What do I really want to breathe life into? Because instead of just thinking about it as letting go and one twin dying, you have to think about what do we want to, you know, infuse life into? What are we willing to sacrifice for? And Austin Coppock calls the third decan of Pisces the a cup of blood, which it's a Mars ruled decan. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a kind of a, a feeling of what are we going to give up to be able mm -hmm. to pursue that idealized rainbow vision of the Ten of Cups type of enchantment yeah. type of deal. Like there's a raw end of the deal, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, you know, the, the other thing I might add is that I found this square to be extremely um, strong in terms of the synchronicities in mm -hmm. life. You know, it's really made it real. And I'll give you an example. Um, sure. It's been happening, like, throughout the whole time, more so than usual. But just before, you know, a couple of nights ago, just before I was preparing for this show, and um, you'd sent me the link to the last show that you did. I thought I'd better watch it to see, you know, see what I'm up for. <laughs> and um, so I was watching it and then something caught my eye, you know, when YouTube like pops up these random things and it was one of your music videos. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, what's this? And it was, you know, like a Jeff Buckley thing. Nice. And I was like, oh, I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, you are amazing. And... You know, the, the last song that was playing on my phone was Lilac Wine by Jeff oh. Buckley. And I think I saw, um, you know, Last Goodbye. And I thought, I was, I just thought, oh my God, you are Hermes with the lyre. And I'm like, Apollo, mesmerized. Oh, that's Play awesome. <laughs> you are amazing. Oh, well, now, now my, now I'm getting flushed here. Like, um, <laughs> So, so thank to, you. Thank you. you I, need to I bring music to these shows. I, yeah, I, I need to re-engage with my music, I think, soon. Um, I, I, yeah, Jeff Buckley was a huge influence in my, on my musical career. And I used to do these tribute shows for Jeff Buckley in Chicago and Toronto and various places and really resonated Amazing. with his story and his, the way that he expressed emotionally. And um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so thank you. Genius. He was yeah, a but that yeah that was that was so Mercury Neptune. I thought the synchronicity, you know, you being Hermes, you know, with the liar, you know, the Neptune just bringing me to another world, and the fact that I was actually just listening to that album before I decided, oh, hang on, I've got to work. I've got to actually like watch this video and see what I've, what's you know what these shows are all about, and then 
and then happen to say, no, don't do this. Watch this instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah. So if you're if you're hearing this and you want to check out my music, I do have a YouTube channel, Spencer Michelle Music. So if you're interested in that, there's some stuff on there. Um, but yeah, I, I've taken a few years of a break, I guess, to really dive into my astrological studies. And I think that eventually there will be like, you know, I don't know how to blend them necessarily, but returning to uh, having that be a bigger part of my life again, I think is going to be hopefully happening because I, I miss it. I, I definitely miss it, mm -hmm. especially with it. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of gigs before COVID hit too. Well, not a lot, but a few little, little here and there. And mm -hmm. um, hopefully I'll get back to that and share that with the world. So thank yeah, you, Shu. I, 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 you're, you're, playing to the to the leo ascendant uh <laughs> Peter Gallery well, here. It's, it's well deserved because you were just incredible i thought wow you know you really and you know i always think astrology is best when it's applied to something else you know i i happen to use art and alchemy and the farm but you know it can easily there's all these verticals that lay underneath the umbrella of astrology and that's when you get real magic i think so totally yeah. and, and music really is about pattern recognition and mm. tapping tapping into your intuition and I, I taught songwriting at a at a college for a long period of time and i talked about the sculptor versus the midwife and both of those things need to be present when you're doing music you need to open yourself up as a channel to receive the inspiration and then you use your technique and your skill to be able to communicate it out into the world and i think astrology is exactly mm. the same you need to open yourself up as a channel like that midwife to receive mm. that oracular message and then mm. our skill through our study allows us to communicate it in a way that our audience can receive and the more study we're able to do the maybe the more refined our communication techniques become mm. our, right our translating yeah. ability our mercurial uh, you know, yeah. communicative yeah. abilities. Yeah, it's okay. being the bridge. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Mercury, the bridge. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, also on that day, we have Venus making that opposition with Saturn. So mm -hmm. um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I just think about the, it's the flow on from the activation of Mars um, earlier in July now being felt in a more um, heart-centered way um, and so we can maybe look at it in terms of you know yes you know Saturn Venus like the coldness the isolation the distance that you mentioned before tensions from relating but also maybe bringing up the more serious nature around relationships or make maybe decisions around deeper commitments um, yeah, grown-up stuff to do with relationships. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely like a, a, a sobering influence, right? With with relationships in general being what's being served up to Saturn to say, okay, you've got to, to put all your ducks in a row. Um, I think that the other thing I would add to uh, what you're saying is just, I guess, be careful that a sense of, I, I think that the combination of Venus and, and in Leo could speak to a little bit of vanity too and and where we are really hyper aware of like how we appear to others and mm -hmm. that could run into some kind of uh challenge as well so be careful that you're not pursuing 
surface, like the, the look of something mm. versus the essence of it. I think that would be a, a good mm. way to balance out these things also. Yeah. And um, in, in Joy Usher's book as well, you know, with that um, Al Biruni's table of enmity, um, it says that Saturn is seeking friendship from Venus. Like that's what it wants to do. Venus doesn't like Saturn, but Saturn wants friendship from Venus. And I can I can see that as well playing out very strongly in my life as well with strong Saturn Venus, where like if Saturn is the technical astrology side, you know, I've it's it wants something else to bring it to life, like the art or you know, the herbs and things like that. And so we can see this as a tension, but also as an opportunity to bring some connectedness back to Saturn where it really needs it. I yeah. like that. I like Remove that. the dryness of Saturn. Well, and seeing that both, um, you know, thinking about Libra in general, right? When we have the the domicile of, of Venus, but also the exaltation of Saturn. So they do have that, mm. that connection yeah. by that one particular house where they're kind of, you know, uh, both having responsibilities. So I love that, mm. like kind of maybe bringing that artistic vision into some kind of form potentially, right? With yeah, uh, yes, Saturnian? yeah. yeah. Concretizing yeah, definitely. It. That's and, right, yeah. And that piggybacks off what you were saying about commitment, right? Like, like maybe we have this love that we have for one another, but what does it mean unless we are making it into something real rather than just an idea, right? Yeah, that's right. The discipline of a creative pursuit as well. Like if you really want to be that artist, like what's it going to take? You know, what's it going to, what, what do you have to be disciplined about? You know? Well, and like Jeff Buckley, mm -hmm. you know, he practiced his craft incessantly, right? He was yeah. so, so meticulous and to, to be able to learn one of his songs, you had to, you couldn't oh. just pick it up and like play it. You had to like spend months with it trying to that's see. why i was so impressed i was like holy crap like his songs are so complex technically yeah and are. so and the vocals on top of that i thought you know all these sort of syncopated beats and mis mishmash of timing and things like that that's why i was so blown away <laughs> well, I, I always compare him to an olympic singer and that's a nice segue for what we're going to be talking about a little bit later i think is uh we do have the olympics that are going to be starting during july and just think about the the type of dedication that it takes to make it to like the the height of a, the, the olympic stage and and like jeff buckley the height of like the possibilities of the human voice i think he really pushed those boundaries through his mm. through his practice and through his exploration and experimentation so mm. definitely mm. Um, i'm checking in with the chat box here um top-notch vintage says uh talking about the Mars Uranus square um, could it or it could be new tech Mars initiated on the earth ie switched mm. on okay yeah, I could see that mm. Corey G says participation of Mars by exact aspect slash T square configuration in this in the second iteration of Saturn Uranus is interesting as the moon rules the Sun seems fitting slash explosive. Okay. And Corey has these amazing little, uh, I don't think you can see this shoe, but they're, they're, he has like uh, icons here, like little, uh, 
I'm jealous of his little icons that he's putting into every comment. Uh, he's got all the glyphs, the glyphs for the planets. Ah, right. Yeah, uh, so that's beyond my technical ability. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and Corey says, happy birthday. Another new perfection year offers a fresh start. Uh, their, their second exact Saturn return is 7-7 seven, seven, and natal sixth house moon Saturn conjunct in Uranus. Oh, wow. Well, uh, <laughs> good luck with your second Saturn return. Um, We'll all get through it together, I hope. And then Top Notch Vintage says, Elon Musk wanting yeah. the love affair with Venus and Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I haven't been keeping up with Bitcoin, but I know the last time I was checking on with that, there was people were concerned, but it, it changes so quickly that I just, yeah. I haven't even entered that that kind of thing. I don't understand real money either. So <laughs> Bitcoin's completely unknown. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let us figure out fiat currency first, you know. <laughs> All right. So let's move a little bit forward here. And here's my birthday. Happy birthday, Spencer, July the 7th. And so I'll be 41 this year. <laughs> but uh, starting my sixth house perfection year. Two years of Saturn, you could see that I shaved my head a week or two before my Saturn perfection year start, you know, just kind of <laughs> leaning into it. And um, yeah, to me, this is like what Saturn looks like, you know, like, just like very real and short. Minimal. Minim minimalized, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, maybe subconsciously, I feel like I have to shave my head to be a great Hellenistically inspired astrologer because we got like... <laughs> You know, Chris Brennan and Achuta both have this style going, you know, so we'll see. All right. So if we look at the eighth, we are going to see the similar action that we saw with Mars, with Venus then taking its turn, making the square to Uranus. Okay. So any, any uh, nuance shift with the Venus square with Uranus as opposed to the Mars square shoe? Well, this is interesting because Venus will be making a, um, is an Tisha relationship with Uranus. So there's this secret union that they're having together, like something within the backgrounds that is, that can be a bit telling of something that might be going on. And you know, that could be something like, yes, the breakthrough kind of component of Uranus, but I kind of see it as well as maybe this secret comfort with being a bit different, maybe unconventional relating, um, you know, where it could be viewed as distance or aloof conventionally, but there's this kind of inner resonance of like, oh, no, I'm okay with my relationships being a bit different. I'm okay with, you know, being isolated at home and seeing my friends online kind of thing. You know, there's this kind of secret kind of thing going on between the two of them um, that I find interesting. Yeah, I could, you know, one thing that was coming to mind, I could see like, you know, Venus opposite Saturn, maybe there's this serious talk about the state of a relationship potentially. Yeah, and then, should be. Right, and then you decide as Venus is squaring Uranus with that Antitia, that secret connection, to be that un unconventional maybe it's like i don't know you agree to see other people or something of that nature or uh something gets shaken up in the routine of the relationship it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to not be committed it could be that 
maybe there's something within your specific relationship where you say, look, this has gotten a little stagnant. This has gotten a little stale. Let's try something new to try to bring that, you know, I don't know, that victory, that victory card, right? That six of, of wands type of energy into our relationships and celebrate who we are, even if it's a little weird, right? Nonconformity. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I was, my interest was piqued when you were like, maybe you agree to just see your friends online because my, my yeah. papa's son was like, oh, is that an option? <laughs> like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's the norm now. So you're right. right. I had a, I had, I've had this, you know, I've had this built in excuse to like not have to feel guilty about turning down invitations for the last mm-hmm. 16, 15 months. And now mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting thrown back into that. Uh, you know, energy of like, oh boy, I, now I have to make these decisions and choices about how social I can be. And, um, but we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that mm-hmm. there's, there's a way for everyone to, to find something that they'll be comfortable with. Okay. So that is the eighth. Oh, sorry. Oh, no worries. I'm just my phone. Hang on a second. Sure. Excuse me. Hang on. So as Shu is dealing with her technical uh, Venus, oh, sorry about that. Venus Uranus thing, yeah. I would just say <laughs> that you got Uranus a little bit there. Um, so looking at July the 9th, we yeah. are experiencing a new moon. So we've got this mm-hmm. new moon at 18 degrees of Cancer. Um, this one, you know, it, it is... The, you know, yes, we have an opposition from Pluto, but it's not super close. But one thing I wrote down in my notes is that it's not witnessed by any of the malefics, which okay. I thought was, uh, it's probably one of the the first lunations in a while, maybe that we haven't had a, a witnessing malefic. Um, and we do have some help from Jupiter by whole sign. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think with this new moon here? Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? It's not the yeah. warm fuzzies that you would expect of a new moon in Cancer. Yeah. I see this as a continuation of today's full moon uh, that's happening around now with the Capricorn full moon um, opposite Pluto. Yeah. Uh, like the sun opposite Pluto. This is kind of like from that different perspective of, yeah, the, the moon as well being involved. Um, it almost feels like a like before we start anything like that. This is it's like what an inevitable having to release something. Um, there may be trepidation or paranoia or fears coming out within this lunation cycle, where kind of feeling like you're walking into a dreaded situation, but you're, you're going to do it anyway, and having support to do that. Um, do you think that yeah. by Saturn and Mars not witnessing that that makes the opposition with Pluto maybe speak a little bit louder potentially. Yeah, probably because it's very concentrated, isn't it? To, yeah. Um, I mean, it's got this sort of um, wide sort of trying to Neptune as well, but yet the the stark thing about this is Pluto, um, and this will be uh, you know one of the last times that that a, a new moon in Cancer will be opposing Pluto. Right, right. You know, I mean, there, there will be another one next year, but um, I think then Pluto moves. It's 
So we're getting to, yeah, we're getting to the very last stages of Pluto in Capricorn um, and we're going to start to see some urgency come about, you know, doing all those restructural type stuff. Um, and every lunation just helps us to make that happen because it makes it personal. I'll take it. I, I've, I, as a Cancer Sun and Mercury, having all these lunations opposite Pluto is, um, it's not the funnest thing. <laughs> like, no. You know, I, yeah. I believe that on the astrology podcast, they would, we're calling that, uh, you know, Saturn, Pluto, all that energy, the, the meat grinder. And yeah. um, I think that I've been getting a face full of that uh, like mm, the past right, few years. Okay. I'm ready for it to be over. Um, a yeah. couple of little tiny details that I will toss out there. There is a fixed star um, called Wasat that this mm. uh, lunation will be conjoining at 18 degrees of Cancer. That is the belt or the waist of Pollux in, in the constellation of Gemini. Um, and from the research that I did, there was some significations with potentially mastering a skill. But, but could also be prone to sorrow because some of the significations with Pollux uh, have to do with Pollux being the immortal twin that had to give something up so that it's his brother Castor could live again. Um, mm. so, so I think that that plays into the opposition with Pluto because we've mm. got this like, I always think of Pluto, I say this on the, the channel a lot, but I think of Pluto as like the clogged toilet planet, you know, like you've got to take a plunger to it and, and deal with things that have been repressed underneath the surface. And yeah. um, maybe that's what we're dealing with here is that, you know, we have to master something, but we have to, uh, there may be something we have to let go of again with this, this new moon as well. Yeah, and, you know, since we're getting to the business end of Pluto in Capricorn and since 25 degrees, it now comes under the bounds of Saturn. So in a way, we're getting this reiteration of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in a similar way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's this kind of inevitable purging or inevitable getting rid of something in order to start afresh. Well, and we've seen with Pluto in that, that decan of Capricorn, a lot of governmental structures having the their, their own um, repressed corruption exposed and brought to the light of day and mm -hmm. us needing to take a plunger to to root out and ferret out this like under seedy underbelly of the mm -hmm. way that we I think of the organization of, of societies and the way that we you know distribute resources the way that we distribute power um, that's a that's a decan that um, 36 faces talks a lot about power structures with that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I think, uh, we'll see, we'll see if, uh, we we've, how much we've learned from the past two or three years or the past 20, 20 years ish with, with Pluto moving through that sign. I believe mm -hmm. also that the Pluto is making, um, I don't know when it becomes exact, but, but I know that the United, the United States is going through their Pluto return. So a lot of the unrest that we're seeing here in the States, uh, probably uh, you can hearken back some of that to Pluto returning to the exact position it was in when the United States was incorporated and in dealing with the challenges of um, forced labor, of uh, income inequality, of colonialism and things of that nature. So uh, it's a reckoning of sorts. So we'll, we'll mm. see what's going on here. <laughs> Hopefully we'll make it. Big stuff. Yeah, yeah totally. Okay, so 
let's keep on moving. Now we've made it through cancer one or two, I'm sorry, cancer two. <laughs> and now we're entering into cancer three. So on the 11th, we're seeing the sun move into the uh, second decan of cancer at about 20 degrees of cancer. Just a few things to break down with that real quick. Um, this is a moon Jupiter decan. Uh, Austin Coppa calls it the overflowing cup. Hecate is the daimon or deity associated with this decan. Really interesting with uh, Hecate being a spirit. Um, the Book of Toth calls it luxury. Now, one of the things that um, I think of with this decan is we've nurtured something in the first two decans of Cancer, and now we have this Four of Cups type of experience where maybe we've achieved something, we've nurtured something, and we're refusing the excess. Uh, you know, we, um, I, I have Mercury in this decan, and, and I will tell you, my experience has been, um, and this is something that is talked about in Mr. Kopic's book. I know I refer to it a lot, but it's my favorite book. It's my, it's my joy usher on, on some level. All right. Um, <laughs> this, the, and I think Hecate plays into this thought that what we, the abundance that we receive comes at a price to someone else. And that, uh, you know, and I'm thinking about this too, with just piggybacking off of what we were talking about with America and like the abundance that has been built here, but potentially off the backs of, of, you know, forced labor and going into other countries and exploiting other countries' resources to be able to create wealth for our own country. And, and I've had a hyper awareness of that type of energy for, since I was very young. And it's a, it's a constant struggle, I think, thinking about I think there's guilt with receiving in this decan. I think it's it's re recognizing that there is um, some in some situations there's only enough to go around and things need to be distributed fairly. Um, in other situations, there is you know the universe is an abundant, unlimited creator. So I think we have to figure out which of those situations we're dealing with. Um, but as far as Hecate goes, do you have any experience with Hecate? I'm not a uh, I'm not an expert on Hecate. Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> there are other people that that know much more about Hecate, but it's not some. It's not a deity that I have worked with in the past. Yeah, just one one thing that was coming up um, in my mind about Hecate was just it's her role as a nurturer and a destroyer, and mm. that that led me to think about maybe the last decan of Cancer if we were waxing in the first few decans, this is maybe mm. reflective of the waning phase of, of the moon, right? Where, mm. you know, we're, we're distributing or we are uh, diminishing on some level. So I, I think that that's something to think about as a canvas painted on, on this time frame from the 11th of July to the 22nd. So on mm. July 11th, we do have a new planetary ingress our friend Hermes moves into Cancer. Okay, what do you think? What do you think about this shift, Shu? Um, I guess a deepening of awareness maybe around the emotional um, tensions um, and maybe we maybe uh, feel a bit more, uh, maybe a bit more unable to fully be objective or having a tendency to be led by our passions and our emotions and our personal biases, perhaps. Yeah. 
Yeah, we lose wow. that that mercurial ability to differentiate. And we're kind of thrown into that almost like oceanic consciousness, where, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're not able to think as rationally. And we, we have to, our, our communications have to go through five to 10 layers of feelings before they can be expressed. And I, I, I experience this sometimes too with Mercury and Cancer, um, mm. also retrograde in the 12th, which is probably the, the layers that I have to work through. Um, mm. But again, yeah. that, that could also be something that contributes to like musical consciousness, right? Being able to tap mm. into that, express a feeling. So I, mm -hmm. I, my thoughts on Mercury and Cancer, expressing what you need to feel supported. I think that mm -hmm. it's, it's about having the conversation. Um, Schmidt calls Mercury the destabilizer, throwing things into question. So mm -hmm. I think that where I look at Mercury as, as far as where it's placed as where are we going to be asking the questions and receiving some maybe some new insights about something. So this may lead to you asking questions about how do you nurture others? How do you receive nurturing? And what is the best way to facilitate that in your life? Um, and now, now we've got that whole sign opposition with Pluto. So there may be some conversations that bring up some difficult topics around that as well. Yeah. And the ruler of Mercury will be with, yeah, it's with that Leo stellium at the time. So Mercury's not, yeah, not really getting much support there with yeah. its ruler being in an aversion sign. And bringing back all that Saturn Uranus fixed sign stuff as well, which is, again, bringing back to the point about the aftermath uh, of June. Definitely. Um, a recovery yeah. period. Mm -hmm. um, moving forward one day, uh, we do see a, a nice aspect once Mercury moves into... Oops, that's not a good drawing. <laughs> um, when Mercury moves into Cancer, it is moving into almost right away this trine with jupiter that's interesting mm -hmm. um yep. so tell me uh what what are we going to be experiencing with mercury and jupiter coming into a trine here shu well i i quite like the look of this because yeah. it gives us a little bit of a mental escape because it's off access to all of the fixed sign stuff and that expansion of mind, um, pulling us away from the burdens of the little details of life and all these tensions is a way for us to be able to just mentally escape from it. I feel like this aspect is a saving grace of some of the more stressful times that we'll be having in July. Um, and it could also be a time where we have extraordinary insights and downloads, um, um, a good time for learning, mind absorption, that kind of stuff. Definitely. Yeah, like a little oasis, right? A little mm. uh, a little beach respite, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we and we love that, don't we? Maybe no, it's a good day to dig into a book or something. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I I my family's been bugging me to go to to one of the Great Lakes here. So maybe that will be a good time to take a little vacation or something of that nature, spend some time near the water and you might get uh, some, some insights from, from the depths. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the last, um, I mean, Jupiter will be moving back into Aquarius soon. So it's kind of like 
one of these last kind of personal aspects with Jupiter that you can really um, make the most of before it moves back into the hardworking sign of Aquarius and Saturnal sign of Aquarius. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so if we go forward to the 13th, we are seeing one of the other pretty important um, transits of our month, the Mars-Venus conjunction in the mm -hmm. third decan of Leo. Mm. Right, yes, you. this is a big one. Yeah. You could almost do a whole show, show just on this because it's the beginning of a new synodic cycle of Venus-Mars. Yeah. And, look, I'm no expert on the Venus-Mars synodic cycle. Um, I haven't been following it long enough to really understand it fully in my life, but um, it is a very irregular cycle. And it works a little bit like a Saros series where every 32 years we will get Venus and Mars uh, starting its synodic cycle in close to the 20 degrees of Leo like it is now. So the next time this will happen is in 1953 uh, or something like that, if wow. my maths is right. Um, and um, in the last cycle that started was in, I think, 2019, it was in Virgo. So we're ending that cycle uh, and we're starting a new one here on the, uh, is it the 13th or 12th of July? Yeah. Um, so that it's a creative time. Um, by creative, I mean, um, you know, not art creative, but, you know, tensions that lead to a, an action basically is what I mean by creative, yeah. which is what we're seeing a lot in July. Um, so you can you see, you know, one raw passions collide there, you know, that have to do with your um, independence, your own personal will, um, clashing with one's need for connection, one's creative, fertile, um, graceful ways, you know, and they're both colliding to create something, essentially. We might not see it yet, but we will see it at the squares that Mars and Venus make with each other through their cycles. Now, the interesting thing about this iteration of the synodic cycle is that Venus will be going retrograde in um, December, January. Right, and Capricorn. so, yeah, so we're actually going to see um, three first squares of this synodic cycle, which makes this cycle slightly longer than, than the other Venus-Mars synodic cycle. So it's an, it's, I think it's an important um, time to observe that there may be something creative happening around the formation of relationships or the revisiting of existing relationships. Like I'm thinking renewing of vows, that kind of symbol, but establishing some new dynamics within mm. like new dynamic patterns within the relationships yeah. um yeah and it comes also at a very potent time because just a couple of days before we have this venus moon conjunction which is if you follow the inanna story this is the third gate of ascension um which opens up a portal that relates to the solar plexus chakra now that solar plexus chakra has a lot to do with balancing our will and our assertiveness and our self-expression in a way that we don't that we um, 
can avoid to be, like, say, manipulative or overpowering, but at the same time not also subjugating ourselves or having low, low self-esteem. So it really brings in this, you know, Pluto sort of feeling of power, balancing power and power dynamics and relationships and how we're going to create a new relating system going forward that's going to be fair and but passionate at the same time. Yeah, I, I've... That was actually one of the ways that I got um, aware of your work, Shu, was you did a that story of Inanna with, I believe it was with the, were you doing heliacal risings of planets or something of that nature? Um, I did a talk about the evening star phase right. of That's Venus. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, mm. and was very impressed by by that talk and, and all the, the really great um, everybody was like, who is this? Who is this? This is amazing. This is amazing talk. I think I reached out to you after that and thus began our friendship. <laughs> um, but I think that with, with Venus and Mars, uh, I, I'm actually really curious to hear um, even more about that Inanna story with the gates and the chakras. That's really interesting to see that they that each gate might Co uh, coincide with each kind of energetic center in the body as well. That's I've, that's something I haven't um, been exposed to before. That's really cool. I'll add some some myth mythology to the mix here. Um, Aphrodite and Ares in the Greek tradition were illicit lovers, and of course v Venus or Aphrodite was married to Hephaestus, the blacksmith, and Hephaestus um, caught wind that they had been meeting in secret and made this net, uh, this tiny net of filament, you know, this invisible net that fell on top of them when they were uh, basically, when Aphrodite was cheating on her husband and got caught together. And Hephaestus brought all the Olympian gods and was like, look at my unfaithful wife. And um, the gods came, but the goddesses refused, right? They weren't going to make a spectacle of this. So, um, some interesting thoughts about maybe this this coming together, this passionate energy that is not necessarily orthodox or even above board, maybe, you know, maybe there's some hidden aspect with it. And the exact aspect is at 19 degrees of Leo. So that is still the very tail end, tail end of the six of wands, second decan. So mm. trying to, to come to some sort of victorious authenticity through these these the combination of these energies like the receptivity meeting that energetic action mm. okay so you hanging in there you still good yeah 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 definitely so i guess for people in the chat this could be quite a um fundamental turning point in relationships or a significant bookmark um you might not know it yet but looking back it will be i would imagine definitely. Um, yeah, and, and it's interesting to see as well. Um, uh, I just happened to look at my birth chart. And I'm like, oh, I wonder when, what Venus-Mars cycle I was born under. So if you go to your birth chart and go back to the last time Venus and Mars made a um, conjunction, so you're born under this, that, you know, that signs um, synodic cycle of this, but where the synodic cycle of this, um, if the sign started, and, you know, exactly nine months to my birthday, 
previous to my birthday, Venus and Mars made a conjunction. I thought, oh, oh that's when I was conceived. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, for, for, for the people out there in the in digital world, I think that the synodic cycle, just, just understanding synodic cycles in general is a real game changer with, with your astrological practice. Um, I know that when I was starting to get introduced to that concept, being able to trace back the cycle that we are a part of with these aspects was huge and just fundamental. I was like, oh, I can see this in context of its seminal moment, its beginning mm. moment. And when you can trace back these types of you know conjunctions and then see it play out through the square and the opposition, it can give you so much context to what mm -hmm. th that omen is maybe trying to achieve or what that cycle is, what its birth was trying to, to come, what was it was trying to bring to fruition I'm is what I'm trying to spit out here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So simply um, looking at the house where Leo is in your chart will give you a big hint as to what the next, um, however long the cycle, the cycle will end in the beginning of 2023. Okay. So that's the creative project that's going on at this from from the whenever 13th of july nice mm. um so we have a few comments coming in here Corey g is using his fancy glyphs to tell us that <laughs> mercury's tried jupiter as the sun yep. applies to a trine with neptune sounds very harmonious perhaps a too good to be true kind of fantasy world transit yeah i could i could see that anytime neptune's involved you could potentially um have this beautiful transcendental experience that may not always be completely rooted in the physical world and that can lead to some challenges sometimes if you're not balanced with that lisa is saying venus mars through the 12 houses <laughs> um, some well, secret liaisons maybe yeah right <laughs> I, I think i think what lisa's asking is for us to break down that through all 12 of the houses. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, well, maybe that'll be another video, right? Yeah. Someone yeah. needs to make that video in their spare time, Lisa says. Um, but, but again, like she said, just, just look at the Leo uh, area of your chart and look at the topics associated with that. And you're going to get quite a bit of insight just exploring the topics of that particular house. Like in this chart here, in the Aquarius rising chart, this is happening in the seventh house of partnerships, of completions, of the public, relationship with the public and things like that. So this is, you know, someone with that rising would experience that on some level. I believe I was born during a, oh, I don't believe, I know I was born during a Venus Mars square. So oh, all my Mercury okay. energy, right? Mercury, Venus. Well, and it makes sense that you're a musician because it's such a creative, like, it's a it's almost like you're forced to be creative in some sort of way because of the tension that's forming well um, and and with gemini and virgo i often say that with my venus and gemini i'm like it's on the fixed star rigel which i often compare to i say this is a running joke on my live streams that i feel like i'm drinking from the fire hose and I'll be absorbing lots of information and details, but then Mars and Virgo says, what stays and what goes? And you need to cut through all of this stuff and like figure out how we're, you're going to use it. Like, what are you going to do to put it in, into use and make it practical? 
And that's always been something I've struggled with too, is how much is too much and how much is, is not enough, you know, trying to figure those things out. So, um, mm. that's one manifestation of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And I know, I know you like your book recommendations, yeah. but this I think is the best book on the, this is an Australian, another Australian author, Michelle Finey. And she's written a book called The Sacred Dance of Venus and Mars. And it was, I think she's actually come up with the research to realise that there is a Saros cycle kind of thing happening with Venus and Mars because it is actually such an uh, unusual orbit that looking at it, you know, just on its own, you'd think there'd be no pattern. But she found that there's a 32-year 30, 30, Saros pattern What is the name of the author? I'm going to put that in the chat box. Michelle Finey, F-I-N-E-Y. Yeah, Sacred Dads of Venus and Mars. She's an Australian colleague, and I think she's also a psychoanalyst. You know, so she's, yeah, it's a great book. You know I'm going to go out and get that book. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You know me. Tanya's probably probably in the chat being like, oh, God, shoot, you're going to make this huge book order again. (laughs) I know, we're bad for each other. We need to learn Bitcoin so we can start making some money. (laughs) Right, there you go. (laughs) All right, so just keeping it rolling here. Um, On the 17th, actually, first of all, the 15th, we do see a trine between the sun and Neptune that Corey was alluding to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, this is this is could be kind of a dreamy type of aspect where we have an awareness of the the transcendental or the awareness of something that we want to um, maybe escape. I don't know about you, Shu, but I I, I actually experience um, Neptune. <sighs> it just saps the life out of me on some level, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I, I tend to be, and maybe this is because I have so many Virgo placements. I tend to be so like try to be so like in that physical presence that when I'm, you know, taken to this other world, I'm like, Oh, where's my brain? You know, you know, like, Oh, Tadia is calling you a book, a book enabler. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, I, I love it when people share sources. That's like the, the best love language gift type of thing someone could give me is to suggest. For a book. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, totally. Love language. I love it. Yeah. All right. So just a, yeah. thought, a thought on this um, trine. Um, I just, I wrote down since the sun's in that luxurious decan, um, that you may be experiencing luxury, but it may be illusionary with the the trine to Neptune, but perhaps mm-hmm. an oasis. Uh, it, it actually the sun is going to be on the fixed star Pollux at, at, at this trine as well. So Pollux is really a fixed star associated with sacrifice and and storytelling, but but through mm-hmm. through the darker side of something. You know, Castor tells a story that is more positive and sees the brighter side. Pollux is the storyteller with the maybe the more negative. So um, potentially, m- my thought is, what are you willing to sacrifice to achieve the dream? You know, what are you mm. willing to give up to to achieve that that ideal of having enough of abundance of luxury? And what is the dark side of that too? What is the downside of pursuing ma- material security? You know, what is the what is the because there's always 
This is something I've learned from my very beginning studies of Taoism. So I can't claim to be an expert, but knowing that when you're pursuing something, you're planting the seed of its opposite on some level, right? And I think that the universe is trying to come into equilibrium and homeostasis. And when you're taking an extreme action, you could be, you know, also facilitating the opposite reaction, the duality, the, the duality type of reaction. Um, do you have thoughts on that, Shu, on, on that type of inter interplay between light and dark and, and that duality mm. dance? Yeah, I guess, well, because it is a trine, I'm seeing more of the, I guess, positive um, manifestations of that duality and that sacrifice component, like a willingness to to share or a willingness to show gratitude and compassion and acceptance for those that are, you know, um, less advantaged and things like that. Um, also, the idea of um, intuitive insights really flowing, I think it's going to be very strong in what I call week three of July because mm. all of the aspects are really outer transit aspects, yeah. um, outer planet aspects, Bigger pardon. Um, and so this week, I think, is really going to be pulling us out of all of the um, very real-world, visceral, aftermath cleanup job into this opportunity to see a bigger picture, mm. um, you know, bigger outer realities at play, gaining insights of stuff that we might not have been aware of or that might require us to think in a more non-linear way. And this Saturn Neptune is you know, helping us to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like what you say about figuring out how to get in touch with our generosity and our, our you know, one of the, the things that is talked about in this decan is when you are approached with luxury, what do you do with the excess, right? If you have more than enough, how can you share it with others? I think that may be a question that comes up with this trine is saying, all right, maybe we've we've cultivated this, you know, you know, this, this cornucopia of resources. And if you only take what is necessary, and if you have more than you need, like, keep it flowing, mm. because when you block the flow, then it mm. stops coming in too. like, you have to, mm. you know, recycle that energy. I can't help but notice, though, that we are also going to be seeing the sun making an application by opposition yep. to Pluto, Pluto. Yep. Which, is, which is the same journey that Venus did recently. Uh, mm -hmm. moving from the trine to Neptune to the opposition to Pluto. So going through a similar type of, um, type of you know, experience here. Mm. Right, and I so see this more as, um, you know, from that new moon in Cancer that was coming to oppose Pluto, I see this as a continuation, except mm. with only the sun being involved now, we have, I guess, more awareness or consciousness around what our fears were at the new moon, what our trepidation was, like what this dread was all about. We we get to see it now yeah. um, for, for the first time, you know, in this cycle. So, and maybe this might look like the consciousness of these power dynamics that are at play within our relationships, you know, our boundaries, our um, power and um, control and things like that. I like that. I like, I like the power dynamics. I think that's something that that is definitely when we see the sun and Pluto getting together, 
there can be some power challenges and strangely enough themes of abduction like i i, I remember there was a, a sun pluto opposition i don't know if this was in the middle of last year when all the stuff was going down in portland um i don't know if you're familiar with this but in america i don't, I don't know if this is the middle of last year last summer or two summers ago i can't completely remember but there were protesters in Portland that um, it started getting disappearing into vans uh, that were unmarked, that were um, working for the Department, I think, of Homeland Security or something like that. And literally, people were just disappearing off the street. And and this this news story came out right as the sun was opposing Pluto. And in in the Greek Greek myths, Hades, Pluto would erupt from the underworld and and steal Persephone down into the underworld. And mm. uh, just this eruption from nowhere and this like, you know, kind of abduction energy. So I wouldn't be surprised mm. to see something of that nature come coming out into the open. Um, I think that, oh, I had one more thought on this before my brain melts away. I know it's late. It's uh, <laughs> what time is it over there? It, it's about it's eight, eight, eight. Oh, that's not too bad. It's not yeah, too bad. Too now. Bad. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, I think that's what that's that's what I've got it's, for that. It's yeah. been abducted. That thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that that be be careful about getting into power struggles, and mm. that you know fight fair. You know, get. I think that the sun. Anytime the sun makes contact with Pluto it's shining an awareness on some issue that has fallen into either disrepair or been thrust underground and it is going to be brought to awareness and consciousness so i, I think yeah. that that's a something to think about with that yeah seeing something about yourself that you might not like yeah and you know what else is going yeah. on on this day that we were experiencing here that i didn't even um really breakdown is that's our last quarter moon too is that mm. 16th and 17th is the square yeah between lots of processing yeah yeah where um our inner equilibrium could be disturbed a little bit by these types of choices that we're being forced to make and, and these power struggle dynamics i'm also recognizing realizing <laughs> like, that this is the exact day that i'm going to be giving a talk for the nightlight astrology summer speaker series oh so, yes yeah so, i'm so excited for that so i don't know if that's been announced on this channel yet but i'm giving giving a talk on the decans and incorporating them into your astrological practice and that'll be july the 17th at 12 noon eastern standard time american and um there is a link in my instagram feed for registering or you go to nightlight astrology click on their summer speaker series and register it is free to attend so hopefully all of you will will come out and support and and um take advantage of that and uh so we'll see how that manifests Ooh. with the, the, the sun pluto opposition <laughs> i know that looks very interesting <laughs> yeah don't be too yeah be nice in the chat <laughs> yeah yeah be be kind be kind to us <laughs> like um, I did. I did choose the uh, the Libra moon to do it rather than the Scorpio moon the next day. So maybe that'll be slightly. I don't know if that was a good choice or not. Now in retrospect, but uh, we'll see. Okay. 
So let's keep on moving. Let's keep on moving. Mm -hmm. Keep on moving. All right. Now, if we go to the 18th, something very fascinating happens. We have Mercury making its morning set where Mercury is going underneath the sun's beams. I believe that is considered a faucet condition, an omen that is speaking loudly. Um, and you've done some work on the, these, these synodic cycles and the heliacal risings and settings. So tell us a little bit more about Mercury going under the sun's beams, especially the direct phase, because I'm trying to parse out retrograde under the beams versus direct under the beams. So help me out here, Shu. Right. Well, anytime we have a planet making that set, it's almost like a, well, we're starting to head into the underworld in a way, you know. Um, so, again, a deepening of our thoughts, uh, a very, for that actual day, it's a, it's a very loud Mercury day, but a day in which we experience Mercury from an internalised perspective. Um, that going within kind of um, archetype will be at play that day. And it takes, you know, it, it'll take a while for it to sort of come back into the Kazemi with the sun in which, um, in which it will be another significant point. But at this point, you know, well, firstly, currently we're, we're seeing a Mercury direct. So we're seeing whatever insights that we gained from the last Kazemi in June uh, get momentum you know all of a sudden things are speeding up where we're, we're dealing with um, our projects and our thoughts whatever that was started then coming out into the world and being um, manifested and moving forward in some sort of way and then we've we're seeing that roll out until we get to almost the end of what date are we mid-july where mercury then comes back into its um, set and this is when we can start to see some challenges and problems start to manifest with whatever that project was. Um, not the full-blown problems yet, but, you know, we're starting to get tired, you know, Mercury going into the beams. Yeah. We're starting to feel a bit overpowered by it all, maybe, yeah, fatigue, overpowered, um, like a person really starting to lose strength. Yeah. Um, and it's now applying to the sun. It's seeking a union. It's seeking inspiration at this stage to, to keep it going. Um, so, yeah, it, it could look like mental fatigue. It could look like um, somewhat of a um, feeling a bit disconnected with what our purpose was, being thrown a little bit off guard. Um, well, Mercury is moving, moving super fast at this point too, with the, when Mercury is in direct motion, it's moving really fast, mm -hmm. uh, versus mm -hmm. the retrograde when it's moving a lot slower. So like I, mm -hmm. you were, you were saying like the speeding up of, of those significations that we are seeing, um, from mm -hmm. the last cycle, here's one interesting thing I'll toss out there. And I, I don't know if we have to spend a ton of time on it, but, um, Gary Caton, are you familiar with Gary Caton's work? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he talks about. So we've got Mercury as a psychopomp when it is retrograde and under the beams going into the underworld. And he, he tossed out this thought of maybe, maybe um, Mercury is returning either to or from Olympus when it is direct. 
and going into mm -hmm. the realm of the of the gods and bringing mm -hmm. something back to the earth versus going into the underworld and coming mm -hmm. back so that's something i've been trying mm -hmm. to meditate on and and you know see how that might manifest differently like the chthonic depths versus the 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 celestial highs potentially mm, right yes yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah, he, yeah. he's the he's the hermes guy man he he well, his book is incredible too um yeah he's amazing and he he told of a really amazing i think he learned this off Demetra george where at the mercury kazemi at the beginning of the mercury cycle when it's retrograde and kazemi to do some kind of a, a simple ritual where you block your ears up um, at the time. Have you heard about this? No, no, um, no. Okay, you block your ears up and you, you know, do a meditation, ask for a message, you know, and then you say to yourself, okay, when I, you know, get to this point or when I get to town or the first person I see, whatever that first message is that you hear is like an oracular message. Mm. So, and it could be someone else's conversation. It could be something you hear on the radio whatever it is, but when you unblock your ears, that first message is that oracular message. And um, do, do you have to perpetuate Hermes or anything like that? Like say an invocation or what is the... Oh, you just, can if you like. Yeah, yeah, you can if you like. You can, um, you know, it's up to you what you do. Um, but I just thought that was a cool thing to do. And I actually did it. Oh, did it, did it work? <laughs> I did it. Yeah, so because of where I live, there's not many people around. So I, I kind of said, well, the next time I'm out in public and in town I will you know listen for the first message so I actually went out for dinner that night and um I consciously said okay from now on that that first message I hear from now it will be it and then I overheard the person on the next table next to me and he said um what was it uh oh yeah they're big changes <laughs> and I'm like oh my god <laughs> no. what is it <laughs> So you avoided doing like earmuffs in public though, right? <laughs> like, like, I could just imagine Shu out to dinner with her family and just be like, la, 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 do, do. <laughs> like, right? Oh gosh. Oh yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, but I did. And I also won two raffle prizes that night at the pub. Nice. I nice. must say. Yeah. yeah, two gin and tonics and a, a vegetable a hamper. So I'm very pleased with her. Yeah, Tanya is saying that she she loves freestyle freestyle divination. Yeah. <laughs> like, that should be a new competitive sport, right? <laughs> freestyle. That's pretty much what I do on this channel is freestyle divination. You know, at some level, in integrative. I like to call it integrative practical. You know. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a little experimental sometimes, but all right. Yeah. So. Yes, that is. I, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. Mm. Everybody out in the, I recommend in the audience, it. just uh, plug your ears up, you know, or give yourself the 10 second countdown and hear, hear the next message and you'll be good to go. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> we're looking at the 20th here and we've got just a minor aspect, a, a sextile between Venus and Uranus to close out the sun in cancer um i think that is the final aspect during that um solar placement mm. so maybe we'll get some kind of flash of insight you know if you maybe if you put your hands over your ears and you know propitiate hermes 
you will get a beneficial oracular message that will shake you out of your routines. And hear it in some music, maybe. You might hear a message in a song or something like that. Oh, yeah. I, I do that all the time. Like I, I think mm. my version of, of what you were talking about is the first song when I get in my car and turn on the yeah. radio is yeah. speaking to me or the or the first song of the day because I put music on when I do exercise in the morning and it's yeah. bar none. There's just like something in there that's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, universe. <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> So just stand. Don't don't listen to techno then if you're gonna do that. <laughs> right, 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 totally. <laughs> you're gonna grind your day away. <laughs> oh my god. So I'm flipping the page here to, to page two. Oh geez. Oh my god. I'm gonna have to go a little quicker through this, but uh we're moving now into the sun in Leo. Um, actually, we missed one thing on the 21st before, actually, I'm wrong, that the, the, there was one more thing before the sun moved into uh, Leo. Right here, we have an ingress of Venus into uh, Virgo, mm. which is not a happy place for Venus. It's not its happiest place. Um, yeah, she's going to have to roll up her sleeves and do some work. Get to work, Venus. The, the mm. time for play and luxury is over. It's time to learn a new skill. It's time to gather the support of your community because you do have triplicity dignity by the daytime. And um, you might be starting from the bottom of the wheel of fortune, but you just got to work your way up, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Don't worry about the hair and the dress. Just, <laughs> just get on with it. There you yep. go. There you go. Um, okay. So now let's move to Leo season here on the 22nd. And uh, so the sun gains a mess of dignity as we move into Leo with uh, it being in its own domicile. It is also in its own triplicity as the fire sign uh, ruler by the day. But shoo, what are the elephants in the room now with the sun moving into Leo? Well, uh, we've got this um, Venus opposite Jupiter um, just before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst that seems nice, I always think, yeah, with, with especially with an opposition aspect, that there could be too much of a good thing, you know, especially with Venus now being in Virgo, it wants to remember the, the good times and the high life, um, but it somehow is seeing the enormity of the task at hand. Um, and so we really need to be exercising some moderation at this stage and maybe finding a, right, a good channel to, to, to be of service, to spread our goodwill, um, find a purpose and a service for that Venus opposite Jupiter. Otherwise, it can look like being overwhelmed or just going out of control with the desires and the needs and the demands. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking about, you know, the, the grind, the versus the journey too. like with Venus in the first decade of Virgo, we have a eight of pentacles type of experience where we're toiling away the day. And mm-hmm. that is opposed by that uh, eight of cups energy, where we're, we're leaving the work behind and going off into the, the wilderness to search for meaning to search for unification of purpose um Mm. the other thing that i was seeing here 
Well, actually, one more note on Venus, Jupiter here. One one word that comes up for me often with Virgo is uh, disgust, and we have like Ooh. acceptance, like almost universal acceptance with this Pisces Jupiter energy, this ordering. And Mercury, I, I, my experience of Virgo and the, the, the Mercury's role there is to say, you, that smells bad. I need to get Ooh. rid of it so that I can store what is actually valuable for the winter, right? So, mm. so it's both the disgust to be able to notice the flaws, but also the appreciation of quality. So it's, it's both simultaneously, like Mercury is apt to do, have that ambiguity. There is that ability to both appreciate quality and to be able to have a strong aversion to things that are out of place. And I find this with my own, I guess you could call it a stellium. Three planets is considered a stellium, not four, mm -hmm. right? I have a Virgo mm -hmm. stellium and that impulse in me is very strong. Like I, um, I'm hyper aware of the flaws in things and I'm kind of like, oh, I got to I got to work on that. Um, mm. But I think it's that's, discernment, I think. There you go. It's, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely a, a much nicer, nicer gent way. gentler way. To <laughs> say <it. laughs> Where, where's, where's your Venus? Because like you, you have ways of like shifting these uh, these. Oh. <laughs> I have Venus on the ascendant. Actually, oh, well, there so. you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so you're always given that that beautiful harmonious uh, take on it, I love but it's it. retrograde. <laughs> it's well, retrograde, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. But yeah, it's that discernment, and I think also with that Virgo energy, if it, it, they, it's ego denial. You know, it's like it's like um, having too much of a good time in Leo, and now you have yeah. to atone for it when you get right. to Virgo. But we deny, yeah, we deny yeah. ourselves and our spirit, and we're pushing ourselves down a lot, which Virgo types can do. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to push down the amount of calories I eat every day because I think I was starting to eat a little too much. And when you turn forty, you can't eat the same way that you before. <laughs> so, and I'm a cancer, and I have a Taurus moon, so I love to eat. And Tanya's a great chef, so I I've had to. She makes very rich food, and I have to kind of be like, oh, I can't eat that much. It's so delicious. Stop tempting me, temptress. <laughs> oh, I'm sensing a bit of a midlife crisis coming up. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And, and, and I, I promised, uh, I think I have to promise Tanya in these when she joins these live chats that I won't air too many of our personal grievances. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a grievance. She's wonderful and she's totally on board. She puts up with my like need to have you know data constantly. Like I I, I love budgeting and I love like calorie counting and now I'm like, yay, oh I get to do <laughs> I'm annoying. Oh so she, she's a, she's a saint for putting up with me. Um a comment that I had a question here from Corey saying, is Mercury's most preferred uh slash auspicious position? When Mercury is exactly 15 degrees away from the sun. Hmm. I think the rising is yes. I think the helical rising, well, we're seeing a helical setting. Yeah. But when it rises on the other side, they're real. I, I like those. And I'm, a, I'm biased. I'm born with the Mercury <laughs> helical rise. Um, and, and there's a difference between whether it rises on the morning star or an evening star. So yeah. when it rises 15 degrees on the morning star side, we just see this 
in the in the native a real strong need to get a message out there and they'll do it in a very exo way like external way um be it very chatty um really insistent on uh, getting across their message that kind of thing but when you see it on the evening star side we see more of the the sages and the wisdom keepers and people that are still strong on getting a message out but there's this kind of deep um, knowledge that they're trying to get a message out of that. Yeah, and, and and definitely Mercury coming out of the beams is more auspicious, I think, than it going into the beams because it, mm -hmm. you know I've heard it compared to someone rising from their sick bed versus going mm -hmm. and feeling ill, like you were saying earlier in the show. Um, I would say that there may be also another place where Mercury is probably pretty strong at, at the maximum elongation too, when it's mm -hmm. furthest away from the sun. So that's another contender for the Mercury's preferred position. Um, if you're speaking uh, strictly by essential dignity um, at 15, 15, 15 degrees of Virgo, Mercury is at its maximum degree of exaltation. So just by zodiacal sign, that would be the point. I think that Mercury would be like, yay, I get to do all the Mercury things, you know? Mm. Um, but I don't know if that was the, the, the a synodic cycle question or a, a dignity question. Okay. Um, yeah, Corey says, I've got Mercury at 28 tw degrees Libra and the sun at 13 Libra. So evening star, but I'm a night chart. Yeah. So you've got, you've got it at the, um, the, fo the fastest moment, um, Corey. Oh. And I don't know exactly if it's going into the beams or coming out, but I guess that would be something we'd have to look at your chart, but okay. Um, oh, the other thing about Mercury and that opposition with Jupiter at that point is Venus. I'm sorry, Venus, Venus, Venus is going to be on Regulus at that point as ah, well. That's right. Okay. Mm. A really important fixed star. Now Regulus is at about zero ish degrees Virgo. And this opposition is happening with Venus on Regulus. So, you know, they talk about this nemesis that you need to avoid with Regulus placements is Regulus is really a pursuit of, of power and in trying to avoid pettiness or revenge or or you know pursuing power at all costs or you will experience quite a downfall regulus can give great strength and great power and great notoriety and maybe it's shifted a little bit now that it is is in virgo i bet it's more about humility and power coming through skill versus just you know assertion um, but that's something to keep in mind with Venus and, mm. and opposite Jupiter here. It's kind of Jupiter's last gasp too, before it's uh, back in its way out of Pisces. Mm. Mm. Right. Interesting. So let's move forward one more day because what we are doing is we are building to a full moon. And uh, we've got a few more things. Are you doing okay on time, Shu? Yep, I'm all good. Okay. So we've got a full moon on July the 23rd. Uh, at one degree of Aquarius and of Leo in opposition between the sun and the moon. Um, the moon will be on that fixed star Altair, which is the eagle um, that mm -hmm. Zeus turned into to steal Ganymede, the, the, um, the cupbearer, up into Olympus. So uh, speaking of Olympus, the, the Olympics are set to start on this day. What an interesting... Mm. What an interesting um, thing that the world's attention will be brought towards. And I, I wanted to show you, Shu, before we break this down, some cards with this, because I thought it was just really interesting. Um, 
we've got uh, the first decan of Leo is associated or, con or syncretized with the five of wands, which shows youths in a competition, in a battle. In Ooh, a battle. Wow, amazing. And then we have the moon here in, in the first decan of Aquarius, where we have conflict. It's called conflict and defeat. So in this battle, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. There's going to be the, the height of someone's dream coming true and someone uh, basically having their lifelong hope dashed. You know, only, only a certain amount of people can win the gold medal at the Olympics. And mm. even if you come in second, you, 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 I don't know, you haven't really lost because just being there is a victory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, now yeah. I'm trying to remember, Shu, did you tell me that you did, did sports growing up? Were you an athlete? I did. I, oh God, you wouldn't think it now, would you? Because <laughs> I'm, so I'm so unfit now. My body can barely move. But I was quite a, um, I did play competitive sports when I was younger. I was a state netballer and nice. that was my life. As far as I was concerned, I was going to play for Australia. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I never got there. <laughs> I stopped growing and that, that was my problem. And I kept getting injured on court. Because yeah. I was becoming smaller and smaller. Um, but, yeah. So yeah. I, I understand that drive and that challenge of an athlete, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it can, yeah. That's a, that's a secret. Um, and I don't know how much of a secret it is, but it's a secret part of my experience too is i love sports i love competition i'm very competitive mm. actually and i i did really i played basketball and, and i played hockey for a long time um and baseball so baseball hockey and basketball and um mm. wow you are so well-rounded aren't you sports oh, that, that music astrology yeah, that's yeah. My goal. I, I wanted to be a, a, a polymath or a renaissance man right i wanted to be like yeah. modern da vinci or whatever it was. yeah right um. <clears throat> yeah well yeah i kind of found partying and that was the end of my career <laughs> yeah i had i had some significant knee injuries that that uh derailed yeah. some of my athletic stuff I, I tore my acl at one point and that oh. was a big a big shift but i think that the the competition aspect of this full moon of, I think of nations coming together with the, the moon conjoining Saturn and Aquarius with this universality, but to come mm. together to compete. Mm. I think a lot of times when we have lunations, full moons, we have the essence, the spiritual um, drive of the sun coming into a body, into the moon and coming into a flowering. And we're seeing mm -hmm. like the, the competitive aspect coming out in this, this joining of nations. I've always thought that I love the Olympics. I love it with an, an intense passion I, because it, it speaks to a number of things that I love. I love competition. I love sports and I find I have Neptune in the fifth house. So I, I, I find transcendence through like yeah. entertainment and joy and sporting events and, and stuff like that. And I love the coming together and putting down your like your guns and your swords to like play a game and mm. and just the the novelty of seeing all these different people from all these different nations coming together. I think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And mm. I'm just mm -hmm. parked in front of the TV when the Olympics are on. So <laughs> that's why you'll find me from July the 23rd <laughs> to like August the 8th or 9th or however long it goes, 
Um, <laughs> no so, Spencer Michaud YouTube videos <laughs> at that stage. <laughs> well, and I'll say too, like my daughter recently got into competitive swimming for a few years and I saw we, she swam against people who are, who qualified for the Olympics, like in wow. the recent United States trials. And I saw how hard it was just to, just the levels that you have to go through, the work that you have to go through just to get, even just to, to audition, to be in the Olympics is an, mm. you have to be an incredible, incredible uh, freak of nature athlete yeah. to be able to do that. So yeah. I have so much respect for the people that are there and the, the, the dreams that they are living out. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'm. Have you seen um Have you seen the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix? Yes. Oh awesome. my god. So good. <laughs> He's dance. incredible. Oh, I just I could watch that over and over again. I just love Michael Jordan. I really do. So do I. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a total. Guy. He's a total asshole. But he is like the most amazing like competitor ever. You could tell he is a total jerk too. <laughs> Sorry, well, like, do you think so? Or did he's very Saturnian to me? I just yeah, I saw him yeah, as I, very Saturnian. Yeah, I think you know, that he, I think it's both. I think that mm -hmm. he has the moon on Antares, um, so mm -hmm. he he's super intense, and he's got Saturn in Aquarius conjunct his Sun, and ah, right. he's a Cancer rising with with his rising is on serious so like he's got major fixed star action in his chart and jupiter's in pisces right on his midheaven in life so he was this larger than life you know zeus like figure he literally yeah. floated on air yes. <laughs> yeah no, I, yeah i i i think that he was both a, a a difficult person to work with but also he was like that because he was so driven and i have nothing mm. but respect for that you know what i'm saying mm. like that, mm -hmm. that he just tried to continually push himself and others to the to the height of achievement yes but I, but I and you know he always he always came through with the yeah. with the final plays or whatever so he totally. he really did walk the talk as much as he he, he was nasty to his teammates and all yeah. that sort of stuff you right. know I mean, he and, delivered and, and again i think that what we have to realize with these olympic athletes and people like michael jordan is they are sacrificing something to get where they're going and maybe it's mm -hmm. they're sacrificing a normal social life in michael jordan's mm -hmm. case he was sacrificing anonymity you know he, he was mm -hmm. can't couldn't go anywhere without an entourage of security or something mm -hmm. like that and that's always something that's been in the back of my mind about music and like with jeff buckley and like do you get vh1 in in australia do you remember that channel um I don't, I don't even have a TV, so okay. <laughs> I can't So VH1 is basically like MTV, all right? It's oh, like, okay. it, was a music, yeah. it was a music video channel in America. And they used mm. to have these things called Behind the Music. And it was, uh, it was awesome. like these, these, it was these stories of the rise to fame and then the fall from grace. <laughs> so, yeah, like, right. Yeah. So there was like that narrative that was coming in, but, but really interesting stories. And I think with this full moon, we're really going to see the balance between the self and the other the selected few versus the exile or those who are mm -hmm. cast into exile and i would say mm -hmm. one of the other things to keep in mind when the sun's in leo is it's going to be co-present with mars and opposing saturn by whole sign so mm -hmm. instead of witnessing the benefic planets it's losing the support of both benefics of jupiter and of venus and it mm -hmm. is witnessing both saturn 
and Mars. So to me, this movement into Leo, you know, it's bringing this more, I don't know, this harder experience, this more challenging experience, right? Yeah, but that's that's such a good um, uh, manifestation of the Olympics, right, where we really have to push ourselves and work really hard. Well, we don't, but they do. But, you know, we can watch them do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this full moon as well is the, um, we're going to have two full moons in Aquarius this year, which I always find is a telling thing. And the first one, it happens at the first degree of Aquarius. And then the next one next month happens at the 29th degree, so the bookending of Aquarius. But it is the blossoming of that new moon in Aquarius six months ago in February when we had all that whole big stellium of stuff in February. Do you remember that? Uh, there was this collusion of planets that happened all resetting a new synodic cycle. It was such a resetting kind of time. And so this is where we get two chances to see the manifestation of that, the blossoming of that. And I had in my notes that this is a time to really take time to reflect on maybe what you've achieved since then, some of your successes. You know, give that sun a good pat on the back because um, if you look back, yes, it's been, you know, a tough year, but, you know, maybe you've come further than you um, than you've thought you, you had, you know, so. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, it's a chapter marker check-in, a, a progress report for the, for the beginning of the year, right? Yeah, and the fact that we've got two full moons in Aquarius, it sort of drives in that message of like, you know, Look, you've got two chances to manifest something. You've got two chances to um, to bring this, you know, bring this home in a way. Nice. nice. Yeah. Okay. So, an interesting full moon. Mm. The next day that we have here, we have a, a Mercury Neptune, another Mercury Neptune, right? No. Neptune, trine. trine. Yeah. Okay, that was like, what the? <laughs> like, that's. What <laughs> I knew I wrote it down, but okay. So there is Mercury and Neptune trine. So they're working together now. This harmonious interplay between mm -hmm. uh, the winged messenger and the Lord of Horses, <laughs> the ocean. Okay. All right. So let's. Uh, in addition to that trine, we're going to be seeing Mercury applying to an opposition to Pluto. Um, so again, we're going to be going through that dance that these other planets have gone through where they first make the trine to Neptune, and then they have to deal with the opposition to Pluto. So where we could be seeing the possibilities of the, the transcendent beauty, but then we have to deal with the seedy underbelly of that, the reality check with that on some level too. So yeah. um, any Mercury-Pluto uh, opposition thoughts? Um, well, I don't think the, these will be familiar transits, I think, because the yeah. sun's just been through the similar journey. But, you know, it's just this idea of the bridge, you know, connecting the inner and the outer world and having some kind of um, uh, um, illumination around, you know, our shadows. Right. Totally. Mm. Okay. Also, that, that Mercury-Pluto I always find is a good time to have mental stamina and concentration mm. where you can really delve deeply into something or yeah. it could be like really being obsessed about getting to the yeah. bottom of something problem solving mm. so just watch you don't become too neurotic or paranoid about it but it's a good time to really nut something out that day yeah it's, it's an investigative aspect where you can really uh 
become your own Magnum PI, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the next day, well, not the next day, but the 28th, we have a big event where our good friend mm. Jupiter is backtracking back into Aquarius. All right, you. What what are we what are we dealing with here? <laughs> Sayonara, graceful kind of benevolent hand of God. You know, I just see this as you know, firstly revisiting that period from you know whatever January to May that we're heading back into. But I just have in my mind that um, things have been flowing. I can't say Jupiter in Pisces has been like amazing, but what I have noticed is that. You can wing things a little bit more and things just work out. You're like, oh, yeah, she'll be right. We'll be fine, you know, and then things work out. But I don't think we're going to be able to have that luxury when Jupiter goes back into Aquarius. We're going to have to be more prepared, mm. get things in order. We're not going to be able to head out and go, um, oh, she'll be right. You know, it, it'll be fine. You know, things will just work out. Things just yeah. won't work out as nicely as what they have been, which is, Long, I think, term. take the longer term view and and play by Saturn's rules, right? Yeah, and have I'm noticing, the discipline. Totally. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm noticing that right as Jupiter regresses back into Aquarius, it's making an exact uh, opposition to Mars. Like, it's like, oh, here, you're backing yeah. right into it and you're, <laughs> you're gonna have to deal with something pretty intense. One, one thing That's that right. I was looking at with this was um, the Seven of Wands and the uh, Seven of Swords. And those two cards really speak to standing your ground versus leaving your territory behind. Okay, mm -hmm. so we've got fighting for your to, to maintain your position with Mars in the third decan of Leo and being willing to leave something behind. And you know what? You know what I think would actually work better with this? Mm -hmm. I think Jupiter is basically saying, hey, review what you've left behind and can you make a harmonious parting from the past so that you can just move on with your life you know mm. because i mean jupiter is is facilitating um harmonious severing of ties you know mm. of leaving the past behind so i think mm. that if you're fighting too hard to maintain your position if it's based on something in the past you might want to rethink that and to mm. relieve some of that tension um, yeah the other thing that I'm noticing on this day is that Venus is exactly squared the nodes, which is a condition called at the bends. Do you have an exper mm. any experience with the, the bending uh, of the nodes? Yeah, well, when I see that in natal charts, I always, um, whatever planet that's at the bendings, I just think the life is around core decisions around that planet signification. So. Yeah. So this is a time where we're making decisions about the way we connect to people, the way we um, unite um, and attract what we want in life. You know, it's these um, big, it's big turning points, big decision-making, uh, existential questions around, you know, who it is that we want to connect with, to associate with, to have pleasure with, that kind of thing. Totally. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree 100%. Choices, for sure. A, a, mm -hmm. a crossroads of sorts where you can mm -hmm. uh, see which direction you're going. And Venus is going to start heading towards that south node 
Um, so maybe even a decision to leave behind certain beliefs that may be limiting because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you've got that kind of that drain energy of the south node, right? That, that portal of, of form leaving, leaving the material plane. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, so just, um, yeah, so ahead. just one more thing about yeah. Jupiter in going back into Aquarius, it's almost, and just harping on what you said about um, testing things, mm -hmm. um, you know, the dreams that we've had in Jupiter and Pisces is now going to be, we have to put the reality tests on it when it gets to Aquarius. You know, yep. we've got to pressure test them to make sure they're going to work out when we revisit them in six months' time. Um, so that's that's another um, thing that I saw with Jupiter and Aquarius. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, this little toe in the water that we've had with Jupiter and Pisces was like, okay, here's the dream. Here's, can you, can you imagine the possibilities? And now mm -hmm. Jupiter is like saying, okay, what are you going to do to make that dream a reality when Jupiter moves back into Pisces in December? Because you'll have five months between the end of December and May to like full force, all systems go. Because Jupiter is mm -hmm. only going to be in Pisces for like, what, five months? And then it'll... Yeah, it's fast. fast. Yeah, yeah. It's really fast. It's a shame. Yeah, it is, it's a nice aspect. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. The 29th, we'd see a ingress with Mars into Virgo. Mm -hmm. I think this will actually be kind of nice because this is just going to alleviate the tension finally between Saturn and, and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. I think that'll just get things out of this tense aspect the heat yeah 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 to me this is like okay you've gone through the battles you've gone through figuring out you know who you are and your authenticity versus how you fit into your community now it's time to get to work this this mars and virgo is like all right enough you know posturing it's time to just like you know get to it put your nose to the grindstone get ready to get yep. it done um yep. and, and then uh, the last quarter moon happens on the 31st. Mm -hmm. okay, so that's here with the square between the sun and the moon in Taurus and in Leo. Um, any thoughts on what, what that could be that we're dealing with there? We've got the Kazemi coming up on the 1st of August, too. Is that much? Yeah. Better? Yep, yep. Um, oh, it just kind of harks back to all of this Saturn Uranus stuff, really, doesn't yeah. it? Um, totally. But with the last quarter moon phase, you know, it's really a, about turning it back, processing things, starting to think about a succession. So it is about releasing and um, and consolidating. So um, it almost feels like this whole aftermath that we've been through, you know, we can get to a stage maybe where we're like, okay, let's just, um, let's just cool off a little bit. Mars is now in Leo. Let's just start to consolidate and, and look for the real, where the real service actually lies. Service. Definitely. How can you serve? Mm. Lisa says less water, more air. Mars at the final degree of Leo. I wonder if there will be any parting fire-like gifts from Mars. Um, yeah, I, I hope not. <laughs> but I, I know, but I wouldn't be surprised. 
Um, yeah, that's one thing I noticed too, this Jupiter opposition to Mars is at that anoretic degree. So yeah. we may see some maybe very drastic um, rash decisions and mm. actions being taken, you know. Explosive. Uh, so just be caught. Yeah. Cautious. Try not to overdo it. I, I have an I have a mm. feeling maybe this Olympics. I I don't I don't wish this on people, but I wouldn't be surprised to see top some top level athletes maybe pushing themselves too hard and and getting injured uh, potentially mm. with that aspect. So, um, but I I don't know I don't know what other choice they have. They're at the the, the pinnacle of their experience. Exactly. So. <laughs> no better time to do it. Yeah. Right. So I I wish them good health. I don't wish them any ill will, but. Uh, um, I guess for for us mortals out there, um, you know, marshal your energy so that you're not overdoing something that could lead to uh, an injury or something of that nature. Yeah. Do you know? Do you want to hear what Maternus says about that Mars opposition to yes. Jupiter? Yes. Okay. Now, so caveat: this is you know, just read this symbolically. It's not you know, um, not to be taken too seriously, but an unevenness of life. Um, and inequality and scattering of personal assets, so that could be leading to the loss of personal wealth, mm -hmm. um, makes friends into enemies. Uh -oh. And yeah. the greatest dangers caused by boisterous associations or by rash actions. So I think that's probably mm -hmm. more pertinent. Yeah. Rash actions, no. totally. Yeah. So yeah. be nice to your friends. Don't get any, into <laughs> any ego battles with them. That's right. Uh, practice kindness, right? <laughs> kindness, kindness, kill them with kindness. Yeah, I think you can. If you can find something useful for Mars to do, it's going to be um, occupied enough with something Virgo and a yes. Virgo and task. Yeah. All right, Shu. I think we made it through the month here. Mm -hmm. I think we did it. What a marathon! Um, <laughs> I, I'm drawing on the screen uh, an I Ching reading that I did for this, and we'll break this down quickly. Uh, Lee says hi from Toronto. Hello, Lee. Nice to see you. Hello. Um, we're still getting some things in the chat. I got the hexagram number one, and Ooh. it was moving to hexagram number 50 with two changing lines. Ooh. And some of the keywords that I have for the hexagram one, first of all, it's, it's double heaven. So it's this very creative yang energy, this, this very active principle dynamic, active, creative, dynamic force, assertion, strength, decisiveness, strong action, going forward, undertaking something. So we probably have this, like this, like going back to the beginning where I said we are this loaded spring, like this catapult, right? Like the grasshopper loading up to make a giant leap forward. But the first changing line is this, it says the dragon is submerged. They associate this hexagram with dragons. It says this dragon is submerged, do not act. Um, mm. So I think that this opposition with Mars and Saturn is saying, hey, there's, there's something that is slowing you down before you can take that giant leap forward. The time's not necessarily right for action. There's a situation that is unclear. Um, mm. There's some abilities that you may have something that goes unrecognized. And this is, I think, painful about the Mars opposition with Saturn is you know, you may want, you really are fighting for that recognition, that, uh, you know, awareness of, of the hard work, the, the grind that you've gone through, but something is keeping it below the surface for now. Um, mm. but I think Amazing. That's, that fits in with that whole idea of the stalemate, you know, like being locked horns and 
yeah and the frustration to do with that totally and so That's there's amazing. a there's a nice translation i like that asks questions this is well, I'm, I can't remember the author right now, but but they ask, how can you liberate the creative energy? What wants to be created? Mm. Um, so be patient, have faith, keep a low profile for the beginning of the month, okay? Prepare things behind the scenes. This is what I love about the, the I Ching is even if you're experiencing a twist of fortune, their advice is to prepare for the return of good fortune, mm. the return of the mm. light. Mm -hmm. um, gather information, gather skills, load your spring is a note that I wrote down. And mm. there's another changing line that says, the dragon flies high into the sky. It is beneficial to see the great person. So this is where our moment is going to come after we mm. get past these oppositions to act as a role model for others, to act after clarity. We need to do something noble. We need to do something that has value, that is, is worthy of our energy and of whatever we're going to pour our resources and our skills and talents into. So great achievements can be achieved with integrity and you can be catapulted like the grasshopper into a new awareness. Now I want to bring the grasshopper into this shoe. Mm. Grasshoppers are really fascinating creatures and I'm going to, I'll stop my share for a second. So grasshoppers are, they can eat 16 times their weight in a day. There are over 11,000 species of grasshoppers. So there are many different ways for them to achieve their purposes, very many unique ways. They can jump 20 times their body length, 20 times. Mm -hmm. So think of a unique way to express yourself. It doesn't have to be orthodox. Mm -hmm. There could potentially be a huge leap forward into mm -hmm. a new situation after you've laid low and loaded your spring after you've accepted that there's going to be some delay potentially and then gather strength and leap away from danger too if, if you find yourself in a in a difficult situation hop like a grasshopper into mm. the new reality leave the past behind right mm. go on mm. go on that saturnian second decan six of swords journey where you're crossing the river from the past into your future you know yeah and they come out at spring as well, don't they? So um, it's this idea of that new renewal and the, the, the rebirth. Totally. Mm. So anyway, we did it. We did it. Yay. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Fun. My gosh. Sure, I could talk to you for hours. This is great. I know, right? <laughs> Hopefully everyone's still with us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got, we've got people still hanging out in the chat here. Um, well, I want to say thank you, Shu, for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom. Um, any final thoughts you have for our audience today? Oh, just keep following the cycles, keep following the stars. Um, that's, yeah. And keep tuning in to this channel. It's got lots of good stuff here. So <laughs> we'll have to do this again. I hope you'll be amenable to yeah, such a thing. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, where can we find you, Shu? And what, you have anything in the hopper coming up? The hopper, the grasshopper. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few things coming up actually. I'm um, presenting at a uh, a festival called Essence at the end of July, and that's like a festival on magic, shamanism, and ritual. So I'll be doing a little talk around time, the importance of timing and rituals. Um, I've got a solar return um, program 
coming up a four week soul return program coming up with radiant astrology and i'll be doing two a talk and a webinar with kepler in september on the venus cycle so nice. there's a few, a few things that i've got You're to busy. load those, those yeah. springs up with so yeah <laughs> And, and you, but you can website. find me on my Instagram uh, or website, but I think um, that'll probably, it, will that be in the link or? Uh, yeah. W w so you're, I'm going to put it in the chat box here. Tell me your inter. Intercycle cycle with a PSY. Astrology.com. Yep. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So you can find Shu at intercycleastrology.com. And also, I believe that's your Instagram handle as well, Intercycle yeah. Astrology on Instagram. With yeah, Intercycle underscore. Yeah, underscore. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who came here today. Um, if you are enjoying this channel, the first thing that you could do is hit that like button. That helps us get out to more people and spread the the glory and the the beauty of astrology out to all corners of the world. If you're new here, please subscribe to the channel. Um, if you'd like to make a material donation to the work that I do here, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com or reach out to book a reading. And I'm Shu and myself both do readings. So uh, support your local astrologer and let us divine the stars for you. We can have uh, more food and you can have more energy and <laughs> like wisdom <laughs> and things of that nature. So we are more than happy to be of service of you uh, to you. Uh, Tanya says so much good stuff. Looking forward to more shoe. Yeah, I am too. I Thanks, really appreciate this shoe. This was super, super fun. I have a total like it's it's a love fest in this house for your work and for um, just your wisdom. And uh, again, I'm in your debt. Thank you. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. And thanks, Tanya, for those lovely comments too. So thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to visiting the farm someday, okay, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, we should try and run a retreat here, I reckon, at some stage. Let's definitely that. put that in, a, in the, in the right. grasshopper We're springs. Plant <laughs> that seed right now. Spencer Michelle, Shoe Yap, Astrological Retreat, <laughs> Victoria, Australia. Yep. 20, 20, 2023. <laughs> like, yeah. let's, let's do it. <laughs> Definitely. All right, All right awesome. everyone. I think that's what I've got for today. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And uh, Bye -bye. we'll see you the next time. Peace. See ya.